to me, the numbers of six in 10 Americans living with at least one chronic disease is just mind boggling. You know, eating well doesn't have to be awful and boring. There's so much you can do. I think we just kind of need to redefine what, what it looks like. Show people that like it, it can include everything that you want. What up, weirdos? And welcome back to another episode of Oh Hi Self. I'm your host, Sandra Possing, speaker, coach, digital nomad, lover of cats. Um, and I'm coming to you today from Costa Rica. We are currently here for a month. Um, you know, for digital nomads, we got to like prove it every once in a while. So we actually came here just for a friend's wedding. And then um, our family's coming for Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks. So we're like, fuck it, we'll stay for a month. Super stoked on that. And um, today, in today's episode, I'm bringing you back our guest from our most popular episode so far, um, which happens to be my husband, Chris. And we are going to be talking about a topic that is so fucking relevant for all of us that also happens to be, I would say, one of the topics that Chris potentially nerds out on. He nerds out on a lot of things, but the one that he, one of the ones he nerds out on the most, which is health. So welcome back, my love. Thank you. So happy to be back. And honestly, surprised that our first episode was the uh, the most popular. I love that you said first episode because we know there's going to be more. Um, well, yeah, last we're time. clearly doing a second already. <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be so many more. Uh, for anyone who missed the first episode that Chris and I did together, it's about relationships. I don't remember that number off the top of my head, but just go search for it. We talked a lot about relationships and communication, and we use our own relationship as kind of the case study. So we got pretty, uh, pretty vulnerable and shared a lot of private things. So it's a good one. Let's go back and check it out. Um, today, here is what we're what you can expect. So this this episode is about health and we want to um, we want to share a little bit about Chris's background first so you can kind of understand the context of that he's speaking from and then we're going to have him go over five pillars of health and then at the end um, stick around because we're going to share my personal transformation from this past summer as a bit of a case study and an example of what applying those five pillars can look like um, if you want to have a little a, a sneak peek right now. You can go check my Instagram on, I think it was September 22nd. I posted a post that has some before and after photos and um, got a lot of questions after that post. People were like, how did you manage to get six pack abs in 10 weeks? And like so many questions about eating and movement and all that stuff. So we're going to give you the context and Chris is going to teach us some really important things. And then we'll get back to that and kind of um, untangle it and show exactly what I did to get to where I got to. And then at the end, we'll give you some rapid fire questions, Chris, and um, we'll see what he has to say about some of the just very, very typical and common questions we hear that are health related. So Chris, take it away. Tell us a little bit about your background. Um, we heard more of Chris's like life story on the relationship episode. So go check that one out. But what is your background as it relates to health? Cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is going to be interesting. Just health as a topic is not quite as sexy as relationships and communication and all the juicy stuff we went into. So we'll see if we can hold your listeners' attention here. We're going to um, make it sexy. We're going to find so many ways. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of sexy, I feel like I have like sexy lounge singer voice right now too. I've had some sort of lung situation going on for like the last month. Um, so if you hear me slightly raspy or like coughing or wheezing, don't be alarmed. I'm okay. All right, so my background, um, and trying to remember how much of this like we went into in the previous episode, but for people that 
haven't listened to it, we can kind of go back over some of the stuff. But as it pertains to health, I would say, like, kind of first and foremost, growing up, I don't really think I even like had a concept of what health was, you know, I just like, was always an athlete from the time I was a really young kid was super active in all different sports, loved playing soccer and basketball and baseball and tennis and like anything I could really get my hands on that was active. Um, and that kind of like carried me all the way through, definitely through high school and partway through college. Um, just to like go back for a sec, thinking about just, so that's like kind of one piece, right? Like an athlete that's like constantly in motion as a lot of kids are like movement just comes very naturally to kids. Um, I think just, we all have a lot of energy to expend when we're children. And so that part generally for most people comes naturally, not always the case. Um, but as it pertains to like food and nutrition, I had zero concept of like healthy food. And of course, like looking back now, all the kind of like guidelines and recommendations and food pyramid and things that are so outdated and ways of thinking that no longer like serve to help us try to attain better health. Um, those were very much in the mix. And so I kind of like grew up on a, basically like a processed food diet, I would say. I was like pretty picky eater. Um, and yeah, it was kind of like hot dogs and mac and cheese all day, every day. Um, so that just gives you like sort of a glimpse. Anybody who knows me knows like I'm super obsessed with food now and I love to cook, but that kind of gives you a glimpse into <laughs> what my childhood was like as it pertains to food. Uh, and so, yeah, all the way through high school, really, really focused on sports and being an athlete. Had my first pretty major knee injury um, in like spring. It was, yeah, spring of junior year of high school. Um, so I'd finished like fall soccer season. Uh, I'd ha we'd had an amazing year. We won state championship. Um, and yeah, I had this really bad knee injury, tore my ACL and some meniscus and stuff like that. And that um, tended then, that was kind of like the beginning of what became a theme for sort of the next decade of my life, which was just continuously re-injuring this knee and then also balancing it out by injuring the other knee a couple times. So all torn ACLs, most of which were sports related and most of which were non-contact injuries. Um, and so I would, I would do the rehab, I would come back and then pretty shortly thereafter re-injure. So I had gone to UC Santa Cruz, was thinking about playing soccer and never actually got a chance to play um, because I was pretty much just injured the whole time. And then kind of like gave up on that. And then I think was like a little bit lost for a while, having lost that identity as an athlete. Um, definitely put on a lot of weight. I had a couple surgeries in the span of like a year, year and a half that left me like pretty inactive. Uh, and so I think at one point, um, I, I was up over 200 pounds, which for people that know me, like that's, that's a lot for me. And I think people would be like, wow, you know, people know me as like someone who's kind of always small, lean, strong, maybe around 165, 170, somewhere in there. 
Um, so the idea of like 30, 35 more pounds on my frame is pretty mind boggling to some people. Uh, but yeah, that was just kind of like a, a product of inaction. Um, not a lot of fitness and kind of eating a lot of junk food and a little bit of partying mixed in there too, I'm sure contributed. So at that time was, yeah, really trying to figure out what it is that, that I wanted to do and had always kind of had that scientific mind and had decided I wanted to maybe channel that into a career. I think a lot of that was coming just uh, my dad's a successful doctor my mom had been a nurse before she stopped to raise uh, my brother and me. And so it was kind of like they were just very steeped in Western medicine. And it just looked like an attractive option for me. It, it, you know, it was something that I was good at. It kind of made sense. Didn't really, I'm sure like we kind of brought some of this up in the previous episode, but I just wasn't really thinking like super critically at that time about sort of my life and my options and like that there, you know, that there was even the possibility of maybe a different way. So I was just like, Oh, I mean, this is clearly like what I do now, you know, like I gotta, I gotta go to medical school. I gotta become a doctor. And so that was sort of my path for a while. I graduated from Santa Cruz with a, with a bachelor of arts, but I went back to school at UC Berkeley, um, went to like a night school to get all my prerequisites done, uh, to apply to medical school. And I got a job working at a research lab in UCSF. So I was, yeah, working during the day, going to Berkeley multiple nights a week from like 6 to 10 p.m., just definitely hitting, hitting it hard on both the work and the studying front to try to get everything done to apply. And uh, this, to some of your, like, that was right around that I met you, and you really opened my eyes to like, wow, there, there's so many more options out here than this sort of limited scope with which I'm viewing the world and the possibilities of my future. And I started asking like really critical questions about, you know, what I'm doing and why am I doing it? And the real aha moment was writing a, like a, a letter, a personal statement for medical school applications, which is just kind of essentially like, why, why is this the route for you? You know, and I'd write it and I'd read it the next day. And I, I would think as I'm writing it, like, this is so good. This is everything they want to hear. And like, that should tell you right there, you know, like something's off. Like, this is something they want to hear. So like, is this really true to me? And I would read it the next day and be like, oh, my God, this is such bullshit. Like, I don't believe any of this, <laughs> you know? So that was very much like a, uh, a pivotal moment in my life where I was like, okay. And I think you really helped me at that time realize, like, my options are not limited. In fact, like... I'm I'm in this place of just almost infinite possibility right now. Like, what are the things that I love to do? And so that is what kind of got me reconnected back to like fitness and sports and, and community, things that I love, like being outside, interacting with people, being active. Um, and that led me down the path of becoming a trainer, which is where we started to work together and where our relationship really blossomed. And then the small company we were working for, we both left. Obviously, you left and went sort of like your life coaching, personal development company path. And I kind of stayed in the fitness world running boot camps, corporate clients, as well as um, some consumer classes. And then I had been like a little bit maybe tired of my workout routine. And I can't really try to remember who it was, but I feel like a friend of mine was kind of like pestering me about checking out CrossFit. And at the time I was kind of like, I don't know, it feels like culty and weird. And like, I'm sure a lot of the things that 
you know, your listeners have thought or still think about CrossFit. And I was like, fine, okay, I'll check it out. And it was just like love at first sight. It was amazing. I walked in there, it was San Francisco CrossFit. I little did I know at the time I was like being coached by such like legends in the game. So I got basically my my first CrossFit class ever was coached by Kelly Starrett. And if you don't know who he, who he is, he's he's a physical therapist, kind of like mobility guru. Yeah, total icon in the space. Um, Carl Paoli, who's like a phenomenal gymnast and gymnastics coach. Diane Fu, who was like, you know, legendary weightlifting coach. So it was pretty amazing. And of course, here I was like totally green, had no idea. But I just knew that I loved like the, whatever it was that was going on there. You know, I was like learning new skills but I was also getting stronger. So it was like mentally challenging and physically challenging. Like it kind of, I think having lost that identity as an athlete and like not really having a purpose or like a sport, you know, that I felt really connected to anymore. Um, there was something about like the sport of CrossFit that I got really into. I was just excited about the idea of challenging myself both physically and mentally. Um, you definitely lit up, lit up in a way that I hadn't seen until you started CrossFit which was really cool. I was like, I don't know what this is, but there's something to it for him. Yeah. And so I was in there like possibly not even an entire year, I don't think. And then we got married. And then, you know, as maybe your listeners know, we decided to take our sort of like, I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, honeymoon was like a year trip kind of around the world, a little bit unplanned. But I was so grateful to have that connection to CrossFit when we went on that trip, because it was like, you know, it's something that's kind of standardized internationally. There are gyms all across the world and you can drop in, you know, and you kind of like know what you're going to expect. There's the community element, I think, of CrossFit is, if not the best, for sure, one of the best things that they have going for them. Um, and so it was like where I would, you know, I'd go to the gym and work out, drop in any, whether it was Vietnam or Thailand or Australia or Costa Rica or whatever. It was just part of the routine. But it's like the place we would figure out like where to go cool restaurants from locals or like, honestly, like I'd ask people, where's like the best barber shop in, in town? Um, and so just loving that community aspect of it. And when we got back from our trip, I, you know, while we were gone, obviously, like I wasn't doing any in-person coaching, but I wanted to get back into it when we got back. And um, we had settled in Mill Valley at the time. And so I actually like, this is like kind of weird connection, but long story short, for those that are familiar with Marcus Philly, we'll probably talk about him a little bit later as well. Um, he's got a company he started called Functional Bodybuilding. You actually had his head coach, uh, Bree, on in one of maybe your first episode ever, which was also about health. I knew he was coaching CrossFit at a gym in Mill Valley called TJ's Gym. And so I reached out to the manager there and just kind of gave a little bit of my story and was like, I'm really interested in, in doing some coaching. And she was like, oh, it turns out Marcus has actually just moved on. But like, I, we'll set up a meeting with TJ, who is the owner, and uh, see what happens. And so I went in and really hit it off with TJ. Um, shout out TJ if you're out there somewhere listening. Really love him. Just an amazing human and mentor and just character. Uh, nothing but love for TJ. Yeah. And, and TJ was like, absolutely dude. Like we'll throw you in the fire. <laughs> Seemed like you got what it takes. Um, and so started coaching at TJ's in Mill Valley. Um, spent, let's see how much time was I there? It was like 
probably 2017 up until COVID hit, I guess. And then you and I at that time had decided to make our move up to Forestville. Um, and so we did that, moved away, which that kind of like ended my run coaching there at TJ's. I was kind of like, okay, this is, you know, like we're pulling out the right strings here. I love coaching in person, but like coaching an hour of fitness is just kind of like one element here. Like there's so much more that I care about around health. Like how can I be helping people in a little bit deeper of a way than just running like an hour class, you know? And that's, that's what got me interested in health coaching. Um, and I found a program through it's called adapt and it's a functional medicine health coaching program um and so i'm not sure how familiar your listeners are with functional medicine but we could do like a whole nother podcast on that but essentially functional medicine is kind of like root root cause medicine if you think of western medicine as like really really good at dealing with like acute situations like you have a broken arm like go see your doctor like you have cancer like let's go get treatment um, it's not that great. It's just not set up like incentive wise to, to like really educate and empower people to take control of their health before they have the crisis moment. And so functional medicine is kind of like, okay, let's, let's stop with like the bandaid, just treating symptoms approach. And let's try to get to underneath, like what's really going on. And oftentimes, you know, disparate health conditions can all be connected to one root cause. And so that was really fascinating to me. Um, cause I was like, wow, that could be an amazing way to like, really, really help people um, not only, you know, not be sick, but also thrive. And so I went through that program, became a certified health coach. And that's kind of like what's led me to where I am now. So I'm still coaching CrossFit, um, coaching CrossFit at one gym in Santa Rosa, shout out CrossFit Northgate, also coaching uh, at the Barn Fitness Collective, two of my favorite humans in the world. Zoe and Urban started a gym, um, not CrossFit, but more like kind of functional uh, functional fitness gym and also working with clients remotely, just working on health related topics, um, and kind of trying to dial in what I like to call the five pillars of health. So that's my story. Sorry. I know that was like so freaking long winded. So anybody who's still sticking around, kudos to you. Uh, where do we go next? <laughs> Thank you for that intro. I loved it. <laughs> I, I, I think your story is so fascinating. And I think for, you know, for a lot of us who not even just about health, but about like, purpose and mission and career and like, what are we doing in the world that, it, that feels meaningful and it, you know, finding the things that really light you up and that you're just like, I love the phrase nerding out. Like if you could nerd out on something all day anyway, and then you can find a way to do that as your work in the world, it's just so rewarding. And it's been awesome watching you. Uh, also for anyone who's into human design, Chris is a four, six manifesting generator and manifesting generators are like multi-passionate. Like they need lots of different things. And he's like a classic manifesting generator anyway. So for me as his partner, watching him just like nerd the fuck out on all these things. And like, he listens to more podcasts and reads more books on all of this stuff. Um, and he goes so deep in the side, like, I'm like very surface level. I'm like, how does it work and how do I use it and how do I like help myself and other people use it? He wants to understand the deep science of things, which I just, my brain is not wired for that, but I love having him as a resource in my life. And I love watching him just get so lit up and go so deep on the stuff. Like he really, really cares, not just for himself and for us, but he really cares about educating people. And, you know, it's like if we can get just a few people on board to make some really basic changes, like 
then there's a ripple effect and, you know, parents model behavior for their kids and stuff. So I really just think this stuff is so, so, so important. So thank you, Chris, for the work you do in the world. Um, shall we start by defining, I know, so we want to have you go through the five pillars. And um, I think you wanted to start with just like even more high level defining just what is health? Like, what are we even talking about? Yeah, I think that's a really good place to start to just give people a little bit of like a framing for discussing this topic. Um, so if you were to look up in a, in a dictionary, the definition of health, you would find something like health is the absence of illness or injury. And I feel like just in today's day and age, like that's a pretty tepid definition. Like we could probably come up with something a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, and so I, I wish I could recall where this comes from, but a more uh, like complete definition of health, I would say, is health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So as you like, as you can see there, it's kind of like there's a little bit more of like a kind of almost like thriving component to it, right? It's not just that we're like avoiding disease because we could be in pain and miserable. Um, but that we're actually like in a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. And so. that definition of health kind of is feels like a reflection of our Western healthcare system. Like, oh, you you don't have an injury and you're not sick. Congratulations, you're healthy. But it's like, no. Yeah, like, you're great. I'm healthy. You're saying I'm healthy if I don't feel like dog shit every day. <laughs> like, how about like neutral could be the starting point, and then we go up from there. And then I think it's also helpful just to like get a little pulse check uh, on where we're at, um, especially in this country as, as with regards to health and these statistics, this is not supposed to be like, you know, scare tactics, everybody's doomed. In fact, I actually think there are some silver linings in these statistics that we can talk about. Um, but these are just the, the current facts. Six in 10 Americans live with at least one chronic disease. So that would be something like heart disease, cancer, diabetes. Four in 10 live with two or more. And heart disease and cancer are by far the leading causes of death in America. And uh, they are also the leading driver of healthcare costs. So these are very, very serious problems. Um, one in three people have what's called metabolic syndrome, which is indicated by obesity, high blood pressure, high blood trig triglycerides, low levels of HDL cholesterol, and insulin resistance as measured by high fasting glucose. So if you have three, three of five of those indicators, you have what's called metabolic syndrome. And um, metabolic syndrome is often like a, an indicator of your risk for chronic disease, like heart disease or cancer. And so just, like, these are just things to, we definitely to, need. Go ahead. To highlight the like one in three people, like imagine for anyone listening, take everybody you know and put them all in one pile or like crowd in front of you, like one third of the people you know, likely have metabolic syndrome. Like that is shocking and alarming. And, and that's three of those five metrics that are out of whack, right? And so the number, I mean, to me, the number of six in 10 Americans living with at least one chronic disease is just mind boggling, right? Like over 50% of, of adults. Yeah. So as I was saying, like as horrifying as these statistics are, I think there is a, a, a silver lining here, which is that 
like we're, we're just not, we're not all destined to live with chronic disease. I think it's really easy to think like, this is just what happens when you get old, you know, like there's this, oftentimes I hear this, um, this rhetoric around like, ah, oh, this is just what happens when you get old, you know, like your body breaks down and sure, like some of that, you know, there's age related decline. That's like very real, right? Sarcopenia, you're losing muscle as you age. But like, that doesn't mean that we are all destined to be living our later years, just suffering in pain, dealing with chronic diseases on many medications. As horrifying as these statistics are, like, I really think there is a silver lining, which is that we're not all destined to live suffering and in pain with chronic disease in our later years. Um, and we know quite a bit about how to prevent or at least minimize risk for cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, and other debilitating chronic diseases. So unfortunately, it's not like the magic pill that everybody wants to be able to take after trashing their bodies from and minds like year after year. Um, it takes like serious amounts of effort and dedication and consistency and patience and many other attributes that don't particularly align with like our modern, I want it now or I'll deal with the consequences later culture. Um, but like, it's very doable and it really just comes down to the basics. And if we, we I'm like, we don't even need to master the basics. We just need to be like consistent with the basics and shit can go off the rails and it's fine. Like it's, it's honestly like a kind of a law of averages thing too. If like most of the time we're doing mostly the right things, we're going to be in such a better position than if we're just like, oh, fuck it. It's too hard. Like I don't have time. I'll deal with it later. You know? So of course, what I'm talking about is like what you alluded to, these main pillars of health. And, you know, these are what a doctor might call like a soft intervention, which is like, fine, that's whatever. If that's the terminology, it's kind of, you know, annoying. I think that should be <laughs> definitely what we're like prescribing to be and teaching people, like educating young people early and often about this stuff. Cause like in my experience, there's just so much confusion out there too about like what to do and what's the right program and what should I eat? And like all these questions, you know, and they're all super valid questions, but we're really not like equipping people with the tools to be able to feel empowered and take control of their own health. So what I'm talking about is just fueling our bodies with proper nutrients, moving to both like look great and feel great, which I think is what most people want, recovering properly through quality sleep, managing stress in such a way that we are able to cope with a very demanding world, and not to be overlooked, like have a really deep connection to community, whether that's family, friends, our partners, etc. So um, I don't know if you... I know, like, I know that sounds like a lot too. There's like multiple things in there. And like I said before, like if this is not just like a snap your fingers, super easy stuff. Like we got to, we got to commit to it and we got to try to find some consistency, but it's also not rocket science. You know, it's just, we're, we're living in a world that isn't you, really. You don't have to get it. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you don't, you don't have to be perfect at it. You can totally get away with being like a C plus student and just kind of doing the basics sort of most of the time. And you're already like way ahead of the game compared to just how we've been set up in our Western society. That's exactly it. It's just like the, the, the way the world is currently designed, it's set up in such a way that it's not like set up for our success when it comes to health, you know? And so we, we, but like, what do we do? We have options there. We, you know, we throw up our hands and just be like, Oh, it's fuck. we're fucked. It's destiny. You know? 
I'm I'm old and I'm broken because I've been sitting all day every day. You know, it's like no, like let's let's take matters into our own hands. Let's educate ourselves, and then let's just like you said, like just focus on the basics. And if you do that, you're way way ahead of the curve already. And the and people get I think uh, like turned off by or scared away from the basics because they're kind of unsexy. Like we, you know. Everyone wants, you know, it's like the the latest gimmicky thing to how do I get six pack abs overnight by using this weird thing I bought on late night TV or like, you know, some magic diet or something. And it's like, actually, like to your point, it's not rocket science. It's not that hard, but it, it, it can be like a little bit boring because it's not some shiny, flashy thing overnight, whatever that we're so used to in our like, you know, high intensity, like you said, have it now and I'll deal with the consequences later culture. But if we can just kind of embrace the fact that it it's pretty straightforward if you stick to the boring basics. And if you do the boring basics pretty consistently over time, that's when you get the yeah. really sexy results. Yeah. Very much a delayed gratification type thing. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it, I think it involves just like a mindset shift oftentimes, but. And, and there's a lot of ways to make the, make the journey more enjoyable too. Like I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday about diet related stuff. And they're like, you know, I don't want to eat boiled chicken and, and plain rice every day. And I was like, I absolutely wouldn't want to eat boiled chicken breast and rice every day. Like there's so much, you know, eating well doesn't have to be awful and boring. There's so much you can do even with the like quote unquote boring basics to make it fun and interesting and you can make workouts fun and interesting and you can make food that's healthy absolutely delicious like i kind of seasoning food was like kind of a, a new thing for me when i met you like i don't know what i was doing <laughs> up until then but there's so many ways to get creative and make the basics super enjoyable and to make the journey really fun and interesting absolutely yeah i love that perspective too because i think we're obviously we're much more likely to like create sustainable habits and adopt the identity of somebody who's, you know, committed to doing healthy things if we actually enjoy doing it. Like, in fact, I would argue that's kind of the only way, you know, you can only force yourself for so long, like that is not the sustainable route. But I think you're, you're kind of like boiled chicken and rice example, you know, I think that's just a reflection of the, the ways of thinking, like the predominant paradigms over the last several decades of like, what health is. And I, I think we just need to like, I think we just kind of need to redefine what, what it looks like and show people that like it, it can include everything that you want and it can be fun. And yeah, that's part of, I feel like that's part of my mission. Hell yeah. And I, I would say you, we've done a good job of doing that with you as our, we, um, we call Chris the health czar of our family. He like just literally manages all of it. I just kind of am along for the ride. But I would say that we, we live like a very healthy life, but we have great balance and we have a lot of fun and we don't hold back from people who know us know that we, we, we party hard and we chill hard and we work hard and we work out hard and we do all the things, but it really has like, it's enjoyable. I love some of my favorite parts of the day are our daily routines that are like the healthy habits that we've just, we've found ways to make them so enjoyable. It's like things I look forward to every day when I wake yeah. up. Yeah. Love that. Shall we, shall we hit the five, the big five? So this is how I sort of like conceptualize health, five main pillars. Um, there are definitely other things here. So for those of you out there that hear this, they're like, but wait, what about blah, blah, blah. Yes. Like there, we could definitely ha add other things in here, but um, just to try to keep it like somewhat 
simple and leave it at five. The five are nutrition. So like I said, how we're fueling our body, movement. So this is both exercise, like specific exercise or what I like to call training, right? Which is like a little bit more intentional um, as well as like other kind of stuff you're doing throughout the day. Like, are you, are you sitting for the entire rest of the day? Are you walking and getting steps? Um, number three, sleep. So both sleep quality and sleep quantity, as well as sleep consistency, uh, stress, managing stress. So particular with particular regard to managing chronic stress versus acute stress. So we can get into that later, but essentially like Acute stress can be very adaptive, like exercise is actually acute stress, but we are breaking our body, our muscles down so that they can build back up stronger. Um, whereas like a low level of chronic stress all the time that overwhelms our capacity to cope, like that's very much a problem. I would also throw like emotional, yeah, not good. I would throw emotional regulation in there as like kind of part of stress. So just making sure we're processing emotions, um, like frequently and thoroughly. And so I'm sure you will be excited to talk about that because I feel like that's totally in your wheelhouse. Uh, and then the, the the fifth pillar would be community. So just feeling connected to a partner, family, friends. Um, you know, it can be a sports team, like ideally like something you're interacting with in person, you know, like you're playing on a sports team, but of course, like we, I feel part of like a 49ers, you know, fan community. Um, so it could certainly be like an online thing. Community, I think also kind of extends out into spirituality a little bit, which is like a connection to something greater than yourself. And so it certainly doesn't need to have religious undertones to it. Like it doesn't need to be some organized religion or, you know, monotheistic anything like it can be nature or the universe or like whatever it is that you want. Um, even purpose, I would throw in there as like something connection greater than yourself. So those are those are the five. And yeah, I'm like you said, love nerding out on this stuff. So anywhere you want to go, just let's go there. Of the five pillars, starting with pillar number one, let us dive into nutrition. Holy shit. It's a tough one. What do we need to know? Coach Chris, tell us. So understanding like the rudimentary science behind nutrition is a great place to start from so that we just like feel empowered to make choices around our nutrition that align with our goals. Okay. So the very first part is kind of like, all right, what is a calorie? Um, we don't need to know like the scientific definition of a calorie. I honestly can't even remember off the top of my head. It's something like it, a calorie is a unit of energy, but it's like the actual definition is like uh, the amount of energy required to raise one liter of water by one degree Celsius uh, or something like that. But anyways, we think of calories as just energy, right? Energy in, we consume calories in the form of food and then energy out. We, we burn calories when we move our bodies, but also just all the time, even at rest, like our body is using energy to run all of its normal processes. Okay. From there, just with regards to food, I think it's helpful to understand the three main macros, macronutrients, and what that means. So we've got protein, we've got carbohydrate, and we've got fat. Right? And all the food we consume is uh, made up of these three macronutrients. 
There's actually a fourth, which is alcohol, which for anybody out there that is consuming alcohol, you definitely need to account for. And that's a whole nother rabbit hole we can go down around nutrition. But a lot of times alcohol can kind of be the one thing that starts fucking everything else up. So <laughs> it is good to know kind of like how calorically dense alcohol is and then what else can happen downstream as a result of that alcohol consumption. But for simplicity's sake, our macronutrients, protein. So we have four calories per gram of protein consumed. For carbohydrate, the same, also four calories per gram. And then for fat, very calorically dense, nine calories per gram. Okay, so over twice as calorically rich as both protein and carbs. And then alcohol, which is seven calories per gram. So actually calorie dense, like closer to fat. Um, And up to you whether we want to like go deeper there about how to account for alcohol when we're counting macros and calories and things like that. I think let's skip that for now, but... uh... With a, with a little side note to potentially bring it back if it feels relevant. Okay, cool. So I think that just like as the framework is, is helpful, right? And we can kind of like tease this out a little bit. And if you want, talk about um, the, the sort of like calories in versus calories out model and how that either leads to weight loss and weight gain. Uh, and then I think that's a helpful way to understand too, like where this, the sort of demonization of fat came from and how it's like totally misplaced. Like fat is not the enemy. The newest culprit carbohydrate also not the enemy. Um, and I think we can start to understand why if we do like a little bit of a case study on say a person who wants to count calories or count macros. So do you think that's a helpful place to go? Absolutely. Okay. We understand calories, a unit of energy, right? Like we talked about, we're taking calories in through food. We're expending calories through movement and just, you know, all the things that our body is doing at all times. And the first thing, what really what we need to know is um, how much energy should we be taking in in the form of calories, right? And so there are many complicated formulas to try to figure this out. My favorite, we talked about Marcus Philly earlier. Um, definitely go check him out on Instagram. I would say sign up for his newsletter too, because I think he puts out a lot of really helpful, really good, really well-framed content with regards to health specifically around nutrition and movement. Um, but I think the easiest thing to do is look up his functional bodybuilding macro calculator. So what you do, you literally type that into Google, it'll take you to a calculator and then it's, you're going to input some numbers, right? You're going to put in your biological sex. You're going to put in your height. You're going to put in your weight. If you have your um, body fat percentage, you can get a much more accurate number. Most people don't have that number. And if you're not doing like, a DEXA scan or hydrostatic body fat testing, like the number you're going to get from say, like stepping on one of the scales or the things where you like grab your, you know, you like you put your hands on these handles and it like spits out, like that stuff is not going to give you a super accurate number. So I would actually say, unless you're doing something like really, really accurate, just skip the body fat percentage thing for now. 
Um, and then you're going to also input your activity level. And this is where it, like a lot of people can kind of screw it up and obviously not intentionally, but people tend to kind of overestimate um, their activity level on a daily basis. So most people are kind of like moderately active or sort of like low on the activity level. Even people like myself that like train pretty hard every day. Um, I do not work like a super highly active job. So a lot of the time I'm sitting, you know, if I'm on calls, I'm sitting, I like to get steps in during the day. But like, you know, if you were say a construction worker and you're doing like manual labor all day, that is somebody who's like very highly active. So we just want to try to get an accurate reflection of our activity level throughout the day outside of our training. And once we put in all these numbers, it's going to go through a formula and it's basically going to spit out what our, our like daily caloric intake should be if we want to maintain our current body weight. Okay. Um, and then from there, uh, we we want to essentially calculate energy out and understanding that this is a little bit mind-boggling for people to wrap their heads around um and this kind of goes back to what i was just saying and just about like people that work out really hard and think that like they're burning tons and tons of calories because they're working out super hard in fact like the calories that you're burning from your workouts probably only account for anywhere from like five to 10% of your daily caloric expenditure. That's so tiny. Yeah, it's very, very tiny. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about how we can sort of get ourselves into trouble there as well. Uh, but thinking about our total daily energy expenditure, the vast majority of that is coming from what's called our basal metabolic rate. So that's about 70% of the calories that we expend on a daily basis are like literally just your body at rest, like doing the things that it does to keep itself alive and functioning at an optimal state. Okay. So that's, that's huge in terms of basal metabolic rate and increasing that number. Like really the biggest lever we can pull there is building skeletal muscle. So skeletal muscle is a very, uh, energetically demanding organ. Um, in fact, I believe skeletal muscle is the biggest organ in the body actually. So, but anyways, uh, yeah, very energetically demanding. So if we have a lot of skeletal muscle, then our basal metabolic rate is going to be higher, um, because that muscle is, requires a lot of energy to, uh, to function. So just to, to reiterate, so the, the goal kind of for all of us who are working on being healthy uh, is to have our basal metabolic rate go be a higher number because that counts for 70% of it. And then the main way to raise our BMR is to have more muscle. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I would say our goal is necessarily to raise our basal metabolic rate. I would say our goal is to build muscle. As a result of doing that, it, our basal metabolic rate will go up. And I think there are some benefits to that, which are just that you can eat more because your body is going to burn more calories. Like most people want to be able to eat more. So that's a positive. Um, but yeah, really, it's not about raising our BMR. It's about building 
muscle, which in turn is going to raise our BMR. Does that make sense, the distinction there? Yeah. Uh, and then, so if that's 70%, then we have what's called NEAT. I want to say in your episode with Bree, uh, you went over some of this stuff too, but I just feel like anything in this space, like bears repeating and then repeating again and then 10 more 100%. times just because yeah. I really feel like people need to hear it. So NEAT is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is essentially how many calories you're burning outside of exercise. Uh, and this is stuff like how many steps are you getting in a day, you know, and ways to increase NEAT are kind of like the, the classic things you'll hear people say, like taking the stairs at work instead of taking an elevator. Um, little hacks you can do is like, you know, you go to the grocery store or something like park in the far corner of the parking lot, you know, and then you're going to get a few more steps walking into the grocery store bonus. You're going to get some heavy farmers carries carrying the groceries back out to the car. Um, so it's just finding little ways throughout the day where you're not doing specific training, right. But you're still moving your body, you know, like setting a timer at work to get up for every 15 minutes or something and just move around for a couple minutes. Yeah, especially um, people who are sitting all day in Zoom meetings or they're sitting in an office and it's just, you could easily sit for like four, six, eight hours. So important just for your body also to shake yeah. itself out and move yeah. around and not get stuck and have your muscles shorten and tighten and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that's really interesting that falls into this category is fidgeting. And so this is not like to encourage people to fidget all the time, but it's just, I think it's just an interesting observation. Like if you know people that are like kind of fidgety all the time, you know, like can't stop moving, they're shaking their leg or they're snapping their fingers or like, every, you know, it's just people that are buzzing all the time. Like those people just tend to be lean because their meat is through the roof. They're just moving all the time. And all these little micro movements add up throughout the day. You know, if you're shaking your leg thousands and thousands of times a day, that actually ends up burning like a pretty significant amount of calories. So that's just an interesting side note. Um, so we've got, so that we, yeah, we did BMR 70% neat, probably about 15%. So we're already at 85% of our daily expenditure there. And then we have the last two, which is the thermic effect of food. And so that's actually the energy required to break down your food. Okay. So when we eat food, like, yes, that's giving us energy, but we also need to like, you know, break down carbohydrates into glucose for our body then to use as energy. If we're so not digestion, basically. Digestion, basically. Yep. And uh, if we're not going to use it right away, we can store carbohydrate as glycogen in our muscle tissue. Um, we probably don't need to go that deep into like the nerdy science world and talk about that. But basically just understanding that uh, the food we consume has an effect on how many calories we burn and specifically protein and fiber will have a higher thermic effect. So essentially we are going to burn more calories uh, by consuming protein and fiber than if we're just consuming like processed carbs that are stripped of So all if you food. have like a standard American diet and you're eating mostly processed food, you are not helping your raise your, uh, your, your burn. Your, your energy expenditure, correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so that's about five, somewhere between five and 10% of your daily expenditure. And then that's the same number. We talked about this before, but your um, it's called eat, which is your exercise activity thermogenesis. So that's our specific training only about five to 10% of your, of your daily energy expenditure. So like that's pretty mind boggling to most people. Cause oftentimes I think, you know, the, the, the thought process is like, Oh yeah, I hit my CrossFit class. I crushed it today. 
you know, I did Fran, you know, three minutes, boom, I'm done. I don't need anything else, you know, and like I can kind of eat whatever I want and I, you know, I smash my workout. So, and realizing that like you actually burn very, very few calories in that workout um, is just a little bit of a, of a paradigm shift. And this is where also like people that are just only focused on super high intensity training can get into a little bit of trouble as well because you're working so hard so much of the time that you just, you have this feeling like, you know, I'm exhausted. So it's like, it's like a little bit of a double whammy. You're exhausted. So it's like hard to do other things in the day that you need to be able to do. But it also makes you, at least I've had this experience because I used to do this. um, It makes me feel hungrier. And like, I kind of have this like carte blanche to eat whatever I want in the cases, or the fact is like, that's not actually really true. So it may be a better choice to dial in our training with a little bit lower intensity, focus on building muscle so that we increase that BMR, right? And then in turn, we're going to end up having more calories that we're able to consume in a day. And maybe tip the scales a little bit more in the direction of the neat and do more walking and just like get up and move around throughout the day versus like hitting it so hard for 45 minutes in the gym or 30 minutes. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, so this is the, this is kind of like the, the sort of like super stripped down calories in calories out model. And on one hand, like it is kind of a simple math equation. And on the other hand, like there's so much more nuance that goes into it, right? Like what micronutrients are we getting from our food? So like, I don't want anybody out there thinking like that, calories in versus calories out is it end of story it is true that like if you are routinely consuming less calories than you are burning you will lose weight regardless of what it is that you're eating like if anybody disputes that you can go look up the big mac diet this dude lost like i actually don't i don't know how much weight he lost but he lost a significant amount of weight like eating big macs only Obviously, like, I'm not suggesting people go do that. I'm sure, you know, if he went and got like a blood panel, it would probably be pretty horrific. He's probably nutrient deficient as a result of that. But there is some credence to the calories in, calories out equation for both gaining weight and losing weight. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So calories in, calories out, we kind of have that, the BMR, NEAT, the TEF and the EAT, um, love all these acronyms, covered the macros, but also keeping in mind that it's not just protein, carbs, and fats. Like we need micronutrients. So, so like I'm picturing somebody who's eating like, oh, you're, you're just getting your, your protein, you're just getting carbs, you're just getting your fat, but you forget to have like you know, certain, like a, like eating the rainbow and certain kind of nutrients and things like that. So when somebody like your average person, let's say does the, does the online calculator and they figure out, let's say for the, for simplicity's sake, they're like shooting for 2000 calories a day. And the, the calculator is spitting out some kind of combination. Like you hear people talk about like 30, 30, 40 or 30, 40, 30, like, um, you know, the Mediterranean diet and stuff like that. So what does it mean when we're talking about the ratio between protein, carbs, and fat? And how does one know, like, what is optimal? Like, how do I know which one I should choose? Yeah. Wow. What a great, that's a great question. Um, And like so many of the answers that I will probably end up giving here, I would say it depends. So what you're alluding to is essentially um, 
yeah, let's use the example of like 2000 calories. What percentage of those calories are coming from each of the macros, right? Like, and what you were talking about was a, a common one that's like very balanced across is the 40, 30, 30, which is like 40% of your calories are coming from carbohydrate, 30% are coming from protein, and 30% are coming from fat. Um, that is not necessarily like the golden ratio. I think there are some pros to that method. Uh, one being that having a balance. Okay. So let me like pull back here and just, what I would say is that for almost everybody, the thing to really focus on the most is getting adequate protein. Okay. And most of us are not doing this, right? Like the FDA recommendation for protein is 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. So that translates to like a third of a gram per pound of body weight, right? This is like an asinine number. This is so low. It's basically like the minimum amount you should get to not to like survive. be like decrepit and falling apart. Okay. So for anybody out there who's like committed to their health and hopefully out there training, lifting some weights, we really want to be focusing on protein intake and like a, just a kind of a standard number to shoot for is one gram per pound of body weight. Okay. It can fluctuate a little bit, probably somewhere between 0.8 and 1.2 is fine depending on, you know, how hard you're training, how heavy you're lifting. Um, but right around that one gram per pound of body weight tends to be a good number. And so That's a lot of conveniently people, easy math. Yes. Easy math. A lot of people listening to this are probably like, Phew. like, well, that seems, you know, especially anybody that's like counted macros or been tracking how much protein they're eating. I'm sure there are a lot of people that are thinking like, damn, that's a crazy number. Like, how am I, you know, if you've got someone out there who's 180 pounds, how am I going to get 180 grams of protein in a day? Um, and so we can go into a little bit of that maybe later, but um, let's just say like for now, protein is king. The one thing I will say is if you are somebody who is very overweight, we would probably want to use a number that is something like one gram per pound of lean body mass instead of per pound of body weight. Because otherwise, we're just, you're just going to be eating so much, like the daily caloric intake is going to get so high, right? So like just for the sake of an example, say you have someone who's 300 pounds and they are 33% body fat, right? So 100 pounds of their body weight is body fat it means 200 pounds is lean body mass. It would probably be better for them to be shooting for like 200 grams of protein a day versus the 300 total body weight. So if you have a lot of weight to lose, try to go with lean body mass as the number. Um, okay. So we've got one gram per pound of body weight protein as the target. Then from there, we can kind of try to fill in the rest of our daily caloric intake with fats and carbs. And so if we go back to that example you used before, if we have like a, a relative balance of fats and carbs, I think one of the there are a couple pros to that. One is that it just, it like opens up the possibilities of different foods you can eat. You know, if we do something extreme and we go super low carb, like all of a sudden the, the range of foods that we can consume is a lot lower. Same thing if we go super low fat, 
You know, you may like really love a ribeye steak. Well, sorry, like you're going to blast over your daily fat intake if you go out and eat a ribeye steak, you know? So um, what I like about a more balanced approach is that it's just more reasonable for like your average. More sustainable. More sustainable, more reasonable. People want to go out and eat. They want to eat with friends, you know? It's just like, it takes a lot of the, the stress around food and eating out of it. And uh, I think that element right there, like the stress around this stuff can like completely ruin it for everyone, you know? So it's kind of like having just being curious and trying to have fun with it. I, I think one of the great ways to do that is to not like limit yourself by going super strict with any one diet. Okay. The other- I love like an 80, 80, 20 rule for pretty much everything yeah. in life, including yeah, yeah. diet. Exactly. Yep. And then the other thing I would say is like, depending on what you're doing for your training, for people that are going really low carb, you're going to probably see some detrimental effects in your performance in the gym, right? And if the ultimate goal is to like train intentionally, right, to try to build muscle so that we can be strong and capable and feel good and look good, like we have to be properly fueled, you know, it'd be like having this like amazing sports car, but instead of putting like good gasoline in it or just like put in coffee or something you know what i mean like it just it doesn't even it doesn't even translate like it's not even like we're putting shitty gas in it we're like literally not putting any gas in it if we're not giving ourselves carbs so if we're lifting heavy weights or we're doing any kind of high intensity training like we definitely will feel better and perform better if we have carbohydrate either in the form of um, glucose from our bloodstream from food we've eaten or like I was saying before, glycogen from muscle tissue, which is where we can store excess carbs. So carbs are not the enemy. Carbs are your friend. It's going to say, yeah, carbs, carbs are not the enemy. Carbs are, <laughs> carbs are your friend. And the, the type of carb that you eat does matter. Yes. Yeah. Ideally, like I was saying before, fiber, you know, fibrous carbs. So as opposed to like Veggies. eating a bunch of chips, like, you know, eat some roasted sweet potatoes or regular potatoes for that matter. Um, lots of veggies, you know, veggies are mainly carbohydrate, but they're low in carbohydrate. So like you can eat tons and tons of broccoli. I forget the, the, it's, it's something ridiculous. Like you'd have to eat, you know, 16 cups of broccoli to equal like one bagel or something like that, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's also a great way to, if you're actually trying to cut your caloric intake to maybe lose a little bit of weight, um, it, is a great way to feel full and again like crank up that metabolism um so not to mention like you were talking about before the nutrient profile right like we really want to be eating real whole foods as much as possible because all of these things have really wonderful necessary micro micronutrients in them and if we're just eating like plain chicken breast and plain white rice and you know we're on like the bodybuilders diet like we're, we might not actually be getting a lot of the micronutrients that we need for just for the for the 30 like 40 30 30 or 30 40 30 or whatever it is when uh is it is it fair to say that like you're kind of shooting for like a third of each ballpark and then you're adjusting up or down depending on what your goals are like yeah, if you want to take that balanced approach, which again is like one that I recommend for people for the reasons that I stated before, it's you don't have to do that. You know, like if you recognize that you're someone who 
feels really good with a little bit of higher fat, lower carb, like that's fine. You can do that. You just have to account for the, for the number of calories in each gram of fat. And so, um, I think, I'm not sure if that like answers your question, but I think your question is essentially, uh, you know, is this balanced approach the best approach? And I think for the average person, yeah, I think it, it's probably the most kind of sustainable. And yeah, I think, I think what I'm looking for is like, I'm always looking for how do I make this really easy to remember, <laughs> you know, kind of like the one, one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Okay. That's just so easy to remember, but I also know that it doesn't need to be strict. So like, let's mm -hmm. say, I think I weigh probably around 143 or something right now. I'm not trying to hit exactly 143 grams of protein every single day. I just know that something in that general range is great for me. Yeah. And like, if I was just starting out counting macros and I had like, you know, now I have my caloric target for the day and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what percentage? And I don't really know yet. Like, I think a fair starting point is like, you're looking for like a third protein, a third carbs, a third fat ish. And then from there you can be like, you can be twisting the dials a little bit and being like, uh, like, Ooh, like I'm actually someone who does a lot in the gym. So I probably like, let me see what it's like to have a little bit more carbs and a little less fat, or you're like, you're, you're adjusting based on kind of experimentation and seeing how you perform and how you feel. Yes. Yeah. I think I, I, yeah, I totally agree. And I understand now what you're saying. Like you kind of want it to just simpler is better. And I think, yes, one of the benefits of just having a balance across the macros is that it keeps it a little bit simpler. I think the one thing that you have to be cognizant of is that like, so let's just pretend, let's do like a, a quick little case study. Okay. Let's take a person who's 150 pounds, right? And they're, let's say they're going to be consuming 1800 calories in a day. Okay. So we start with that one gram per pound of body weight of protein, right? That's 150 grams, right? We know that four, uh, that per, there's four calories per gram of protein. So we do some quick math there. 150 times four, that's 600 calories, right? Let's just assume this person is like equal percentages across all three macros, right? So then we're going to do the same with carbohydrate, right? We're going to do 150 grams of carbohydrate, same math, four calories per gram, 600 calories. So now we've done 600 plus 600, we're at 1200. We have 600 calories remaining that we're going to fill in with fat, right? The thing that you could very much like mess up and get in trouble is if you're like, oh no, it's even across all three. So I'm going to do 150 grams of fat too, without recognizing that again, fat is so calorically dense, right? It's nine calories per gram. So I can't do that math like right off the top of my head, but it's somewhere close to 1500 calories. If we did 150 grams, that would be like <laughs> almost your entire day of just fat there, yeah, right? Just fat, yeah. So we we actually, for fat, to have it be equal percentages, not equal number, absolute numbers, we would have to be somewhere more like 70 grams of fat per day. Does that make sense? And that's where it's helpful to use some sort of a, a tool. <laughs> like the one I was using this summer was my fitness pal. And once I had my calculation for what I was shooting for, it was just easy. Like I just had that entered in the app and every day I would go in and weigh food and, and put it in and I could see like how many calories am I at for the day and also how many grams of protein and like what's my percentage so far. So even without monitoring it like super strictly, I always had a general idea. So I'm not just for anyone who's like, oh God, I don't want to sit there and do all this math every day. Like you, you don't have to do the math yourself. Yeah. The app can do it for you. Yeah.
So that's like, those are kind of like all the basics that I feel like you really need to know. And then, you know, how we sort of frame this is just what we were talking about. It's like prioritizing protein and fiber. And I think we, we can get a little bit more into movement, but just trying to dial in your training so that the food that you're consuming is like supporting your training and vice versa. Um, and really keeping it simple. I think that's where, like, I don't know. I think that's where, where this can all kind of go awry is like, everyone's like, Oh, like, what are your, what are all your recipes? And you know, it's like, recipes are awesome. I love recipes and I love food. You know, I love food more than the next, but like when you kind of just really simplify, you know, you take your protein, which like for me is always like a good solid six to eight ounce piece of meat. And it can be chicken or steak or fish or whatever you want. Um, and then sort of build your plate around there with whole foods, focusing on fiber. So fruit and vegetables, right? Eating potatoes, sweet potatoes. Um, if you can tolerate grains, like grains can definitely be, be part of the diet for some people. It, that's, that becomes an inflammatory problem, but that's just something you got to kind of know about yourself. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, for us, probably 80% of the time that we, it's like, it's almost like 80% of the time we're cooking at home, right? Going back to your 80, 20 rule. And then 80% of the 80% that we're cooking at home, it's kind of like really simple shit. It's like chicken with sweet potatoes and vegetables. Broccolini. Yeah. yeah. And it's like just, you know, seasoning your food to taste, you know, you can get lots of good spices and herbs up in there, but trying to avoid like trying to avoid drinking your calories with like sugary sodas or alcohol, stuff like that, juice, even fruit juices, um, avoiding like super heavy sauces all the time. I mean, I love me some good primal kitchen mayo. So we get down on that for sure. But just realizing like that's pure fat. So if your if your goal is to hit a particular calorie target, like you really have to be mindful of um, all the little things that you're adding in, you know. And so making just simple meals with like just a handful of ingredients is kind of the way to go, and it just it makes it easier, you know. It kind of takes the guesswork out and makes it a lot easier to be consistent. So much of the time, Chris will make these, like we have, you know, a repertoire of, I don't know, five, 10, 15 kind of main meals that he'll make most of the time. And I swear, like so much of the time he'll make something and I'm like, oh my God, this is so, what did you season these vegetables? Like this happened this week. I was like, what did you season this zucchini with? And he was like, salt, pepper, and lemon. And I was like, what? Are you serious? Like so, so basic. Like a lot of the time, salt, pepper, and olive oil or salt, pepper, and some citrus is all you need. And then there's, you know, fun seasoning, like smoked paprika and like all sorts of other things too. But really the basics can take you so far. Yeah. And I really do think like for most people to be successful in the long term, like you can outsource all your food if you want, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard to know what you're putting in your body. And it's going to be really hard to be consistent, not to, not to mention it's going to be really expensive. (laughs) So just even like, just mastering some basics in the kitchen, I think goes such a long way. Like learning how to prepare your three favorite proteins with some carbohydrates and some vegetables, you know? And like, even from grocery stores, you can buy like 
prepared stuff that doesn't have a bunch of weird shit in it. You know, it's like try to just almost eat like ingredients, you know, like the chicken we eat, it's chicken. It doesn't have like 27 other things in it, you know? So I think that's a good way to think about it. And then just, I'll add like a little final note here on the, I know for me, and I imagine a lot of you who are listening, like super strict restriction doesn't work for me. If somebody tells me I can't have something, including myself, if I tell myself I can't have something, I will generally rebel against it. And even if it's successful for a short amount of time, I'll probably, it won't be sustainable. So that's why I love the 80-20 thing. Like people look at me and Chris and they see all the stuff we post online and they assume that we have this like uber clean diet and that we drink zero alcohol and we never touch a sweet. And like that couldn't be farther from the truth. Like 80% of the time, yes, we are doing all the things we're talking about. 20% of the time we're out, you know, at we're total foodies. We love restaurants. We love going out for drinks. We love partying with our friends. Like we definitely eat a lot of things that are not part of this clean balanced diet because we love it. And because that's just balance and it's fun and it's the richness. Like when I was doing my whole, which we'll get into like counting macros and all this stuff, we would track it and count it and weigh things from like Monday to like Thursday. And then Thursday through Sunday is kind of like off the rails and we just do whatever and we live life. So I don't want people to get so scared away that like, if you want to live like this, you have to be strict because you, I mean, some, for some people that works and they love that and more power to them. But for me, and I think for a lot of us, like we got to also enjoy our day to day and enjoy our food because it's such a beautiful part of the richness of daily life experience, I think. And I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think making room for, for those things is like, it, I think it's so important to, for most people for just consistency and sustainability over time. Shall we um, put put a period at the end of the nutrition sentence for now and move on to movement? Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's or not any final. No, no, I think that's probably it. Like, I just feel like we can get so far into the weeds. I'm, I'm like slightly hesitant that maybe we just kind of turn that into a bit of a math problem. But I, I think we kind of hit the main the main points. I I think a lot of that was probably focused around, um, you know, people with aesthetic goals, but yeah, I think protein fiber, you know, and then as we get into training, I think that's starting to skew a little bit more in the, in the direction of health. So yeah. Um, let's go there. Let's do it. And for anyone who, like, if, if you were listening to that nutrition section and you now have 1 million questions, just let us know and we can do follow-up episodes on any specific things that you guys are yeah. interested in. I really do feel like that was pretty high level and, you know, we didn't go super, super deep. And I'm sure there are tons of questions out there because uh, there's just a lot of confusion when it comes to nutrition. And like I said at the outset, like, it's just one area where we don't, we really don't know a ton and you're probably best to just be wary of someone who claims that they have all the answers and, you know, the right, the right perfect diet for you. But just thinking of it as a fun exploration and, you know, working within the parameters of what your goals are and, and using the elements of like sort of the science of it, right? Like to some extent it, it is a math problem, but also there's so many other elements that go into it, you know, and eating colorful things, like you said, eating from the rainbow, veggies, fruits, all that. So, yes. And helpful to keep in mind that we're all human. We're not machines. And it's not just about, you know, the strategy of what are you putting into your body to fuel your performance and all of that and your aesthetics. It's like, we're also human beings with 
thoughts and emotions that are quite complicated. And a lot of us have very complicated relationships with food. So just to bring in that side of things, since, you know, I love to have like a relationship with money and a relationship with time and all that kind of stuff too. We all have a relationship with food. For a lot of us, it's a, it's a turbulent one for, especially for women with all the disordered eating and just all the fucked up media messaging and all that kind of stuff. So I would say like, yes, think about all the, the, all the nutrition science and stuff that we're talking about. And remember that you're a human being and you have a relationship with food and it, like any relationship, it takes work. And if there's like, you know, trauma or weird conditioning or really unhelpful tendencies from the past, it can be helpful to be really gentle with yourself too and have a lot of compassion and just know that you are a work in progress always. And it's not about being perfect. It's not about getting it right. It's just about noticing what you're doing and how you're feeling and then making little tweaks along the way and like course correcting, course correcting. Yeah. I'm so glad. Thank you for bringing that up Um, because it's easy to kind of just like gloss over that when I'm sort of so deep in the weeds on this stuff, but recognizing that like all of this is like biopsychosocial, right? There's a biological component, which is like kind of the the math problem that I'm talking about, but there's such a psychological element to it. And obviously the social element, you know, and that, that extends to food, definitely movement as well. Um, And so just recognizing, yeah, that these things are, are multifaceted and, really the way for all of us to be successful is just to like be curious and attempt to not be judgmental. So thank you for saying that. And, and as women, especially keeping in mind, like uh, we feel very differently emotionally during different parts of our cycles. And that absolutely the hormones that are coursing through our body affect how we eat and why we eat and what our cravings are and stuff. Like even just in myself, I notice when I'm in the luteal phase of my cycle, which is right before you bleed. And I think, many women will relate to this is like, I suddenly become this like vulture in the kitchen. I'm like doing laps and I don't even know that I'm doing it. I've suddenly I'm just like this gargoyle. I just want to snack on everything. And it's usually salty or sweet things or crunchy things in, in a way that it doesn't even cross my mind. I don't even feel like glimmer of that, like the rest of the month, but it's so wild how much our hormones can influence like <laughs> our cravings and our behaviors. So again, just like helpful to notice what some of those things are. Like now I know what my cravings are and what I tend to do during different parts of my cycle. So I can just be prepared for that. And sometimes I'm just like, fuck it. I'm indulging it. Like I'm absolutely doing X, Y, Z. I'm not apologizing for it. And I'm just going to let myself have that as a comfort thing. But if it's like this chronic cycle and it goes way overboard, then that would be helpful to notice what your own tendencies are. So you can go in and kind of pattern interrupt and make different choices. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Movement. What do we need to know? Exercise. Some of us here are um, fitness freaks and we really, really love fitness, but um, I also want to recognize that that's not the case for everyone. What kinds of movement should we do and how do we know which ones? And like, what do we, why do we care? What's important? (laughs) What do you think I'm going to say? I'm going to say it depends on your goals. I'm going to say that you're going to say it depends on your goals. (laughs) All right. So you're right. I'm going to say it depends. Um, And, but what I would also say is like, whatever, what movement should you do? Like whatever works for you, honestly, that's like the, that's what I would say. It's like whatever the intersection is that like works for you and aligns with your goals, you know, like that's the sweet spot. That's the sweet spot for nutrition as well. Like I was saying before with nutrition and movement, there's so much like ability to adapt and toggle and switch and whatever um that none of this stuff is like set in stone this is the way 
you know? Um, if we're thinking about like optimizing our movement and thus our training for a specific goal, like we could definitely work with that. Um, kind of like what I always feel about just movement in general is like kind of like everything else. Consistency is number one, two, three, four, and five. You yeah, know? It's right. like, <laughs> you, you can have the dopest program designed by like the most knowledgeable trainer. And if you hit it sporadically, your results are going to be shit and you can have the worst program. That's like super boring and repetitive that you literally, you downloaded the first thing you saw on Google, you know, but if you hit it every single day, you are going to be way further ahead than this person with this amazing program that isn't actually following through and doing it consistently. Yeah. So right you there, there I you like kind of everything you need to know. And I would say the basic, the basic just, premise around movement that I would love for everybody to be able to adopt is just to like move more, you know? And that means like move in whatever way kind of lights you up, you know, maybe that's like dance, you know, you go to a dance class a couple weeks, you yoga, um, you know, for everybody, any, like if you're able to get outside and just get steps in, you know, eight to 10,000 steps a day. I know it sounds like a lot, but it doesn't have to be in one fell swoop too. You can just like, you can chip away and there's so many benefits to that. Right. It's like yeah. breathing. Maybe a 10 minute walk after walk. every meal just to. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of like maybe the main thing I would say is just like attempt to move more throughout your day. I think so much of our modern world is set up for us to live sedentary lives. Um, you know, with sitting in the car and then you go to work. And if you don't have like a standing or treadmill desk or whatever, like you're sitting at work and then you're back sitting in the car and then it's like, Oh, tired on, my own, on, TV. on the couch, you know? So it's just like, yep. it's just really easy to go about your day. And like I was saying before, yeah, maybe you hit the gym and you smash your one hour workout, but like that is not in my view of like a great reason to then spend the rest of your day sitting so, actually, so it's like step one, move more, move often, like throughout the day. And it, it can be so many different things. It's about finding what works for you. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And then if we, if we talk more about, like you mentioned, kind of there's like, you know, just movement in general, but then there's what you would call training, I guess, which is like where you go, like, quote unquote, exercise, <laughs> you go do exercise, you do a workout. There are 1 million types of workouts. Like how does somebody decide, like even just you know, all the cardio bunnies out there versus like gym bros, like, you know, strength training versus cardio, even just those two categories, like cardio versus resistance or strength training. What do we need to know? Yeah. Great question. So, um, if we really want to optimize our training, both for particular health goals, longevity, um, feeling good for a long time, but as well as looking good, I think a mixture of aerobic training or cardio and strength training is, is the way to go. And um, in terms of like the balance, say probably a little bit of a bias towards strength training um, just for the reasons we stated before, just around building muscle. BMR. Yeah. BMR for sure. But also just building muscle so that, 
like I know I mentioned sarcopenia uh, yeah. at the beginning. I love that word. Basically, age-related like muscle decline, right? And that's just a very real thing that happens to all of us. And so, the more muscle we can build early, the better off we're going to be later when we really want to be able to do certain things that require muscle. You know, like when we're grandparents, we want to be able to pick our grandkids up off the ground. We want to be able to put a 30 pound carry on bag into an overhead bin without assistance. Um, Super functional stuff. Yeah. I stole both of those examples from Peter Atia, um, who has something called his centenarian decathlon, but it's a really great concept. It's this idea that like, you've got this list of things you want to be able to do in your later years. Like, what do you need to be able to do now? Right. Like if you can't goblet squat 35 pounds, but you want to pick a kid up off the ground, like, you know, in 20 years, like, good luck. Like you better start, yeah, yeah. you know, so just getting very real about those things. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say that, that that's kind of like more in the, in the functional world, right. Where we're doing activities in the gym that kind of mimic activities of daily living. And, uh, I think that can be very, very beneficial. Um, but yeah, just, you know, it's a great, a great metaphor for movement in general is like, is investing, right? Like when we're talking about, you know, do you do cardio? Do you do strength training or resistance training? And it's like, yes, both, but you got to diversify your portfolio. So you want to have a mix of both categories and a mix of different things within both categories. And also it's like to avoid sarcopenia, you want to, it's like investing. You want to start strength training as early as possible. But if you haven't started yet, you should start now, <laughs> you know, start now because the earlier you start and the more consistent you are earlier, the better, but like, it's also never too late. Like you should start as soon as you can, if you haven't already. Yeah, exactly. What's the adage? Like the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago, but the second best time is now. Yeah. Like today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's that. Yep. So a little bit of a bias towards, towards strength training. Um, and when it comes to cardio, I think, uh, oftentimes, like, I think you mentioned like cardio bunnies out there, um, cardio bunnies, cardio bunnies. and like, no disrespect to cardio is great. Cardio is great for cardiovascular health. Cardio is great for mental health. I think cardio can be great because oftentimes it gets you outside, you know? So again, like sunlight, fresh air, connection to nature, you know, if you're going on long runs or mountain biking or things like that, like that's phenomenal. It, as it pertains to health, like I think nowadays it's like pretty well understood that um, prioritizing what's called zone two cardio. So I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that or if your listeners are familiar with that. Um, yeah, let's define it. Yeah. So zone two, it, it basically just refers to like a specific heart rate zone that is generally around like 60 to 70% of one's max heart rate. And, uh, it's a much a lower intensity of training than people who typically do cardio are used to. And the benefits of zone two are number one, that we can use fat. Fat is the preferred source of energy for zone two. Okay. So, um, this is kind of like, uh, what we would call metabolic flexibility, which is essentially like mm. the ability to use different substrates for energy. So oftentimes when we're doing high intensity work, sprints or, you know, CrossFit class or lifting weights, like we need to use carbohydrate because it's very readily accessible. We can use it right away. Using fat uh, 
it's it, it takes a little bit more time. It's like not as efficient of a process to get going. But once it gets going, we basically have like just an unending store of fat we can use for energy. So slow, steady state. So for people that are hitting cardio that want to be burning fat, like you actually kind of have to be working less hard, which is a little bit of a hard mm-hmm. fuck, I think, for people. <laughs> but um, yeah, there are ways to test uh, when you're in zone two, the kind of like, you know, easy version is the talk test. And so you should be able to still talk, although it should be like slightly strained, like a little bit uncomfortable to carry on a conversation, but you could still do it. Whereas if you're so out of breath that you're not able to talk, then you are likely out of zone two. You're in a higher heart rate area, zone three or four. So it's like diversify your fitness portfolio between resistance training and cardio and uh, with a bias toward resistance training. And then on the cardio side, the biases toward zone two, but you can also incorporate sprints and other stuff and long slow cording, whatever, but getting, making sure to get some of that zone two in there. Absolutely. Yes. I love this um, metaphor you've created. It really has legs. (laughs) Um, I'm big in like the, I'm one of my areas of nerding out right now is finance stuff. So I'm thinking about all of that. What about, um, speaking of sexy words, uh, I mean, sarcopenia is not a sexy concept because it's about muscle loss and we want to avoid it, but I just like the way it sounds. But another sexy word is, um, hypertrophy, which I hear thrown around a lot in the fitness world, but I feel like I hadn't even heard it until a couple months ago. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah, sure. So I think, to understand hypertrophy, it's, it's probably easiest to compare the difference between strength and hypertrophy. So hypertrophy is basically only concerned with muscle size, muscle volume. So it's essentially like it's an aesthetic, it's, a, it's an aesthetic metric, right? Like a bodybuilder is very concerned with hypertrophy. They want their muscles mm-hmm. to have like a very full look to them and they don't really care at all about like performance, right? When you're in a bodybuilding competition, like you don't actually have to lift weights. You just have to get up on stage and flex and you want muscle to have like a particular tone and shape and size. That's hypertrophy. When we train for hypertrophy, like we're really just trying to get as much blood pumping into the muscle as possible. So in terms of like rep ranges, oftentimes it's a higher rep training modality, something in the like 20 to 25 reps, you know, where you'd just be like pumping out bicep curls. Anybody that's done that (laughs) and who's really felt that pump, you know, like your skin gets tight, your veins are popping, like muscles huge, right? Like that's essentially training for hypertrophy strength. On the other hand is only concerned with performance, right? We don't care in strength how, what the muscle looks like. Like if you look at some of the strongest, you know, deadlifters in the world, you wouldn't look at them and be like, oh man, that dude's like ripped and, you know, obviously they're super strong, but it's not, it's not about an aesthetic. It's not about the way the muscle looks. Like for a one rep max deadlift, all you're trying to do is just an absolute strength test. Like how much weight can you pull off the ground one time, right? And there's no time element to it either. It's just how friggin' strong are you? And so to train strength, we train in much heavier loads in lower rep ranges, right? Usually in the kind of like one, two, three, four, five reps area. 
And so for the average person who's not trying to be a, a competitive bodybuilder or trying to win like a strongman contest and they just want to feel good, look good, you know, be healthy, perform well, it's a, is it a kind of a balance of both yeah. here also, or is it more biased? No, I think strength. I, or? I think a little bit. I think a little bit of both. And again, it just it totally depends on your goals. Like, are you more concerned with how you look? Are you more concerned with how much weight you can pick up off the ground? Are you more concerned with like your long term health? Right. Like for somebody that's more concerned with their long term health, I would say going for like heavy one rep max deadlifts and back squats all the time, like the calculus for me just doesn't add up. The, the risk you're putting yourself under by lifting those loads, you know, is is probably not worth it. You know, you'd be fine working at 80, 85% of your max or your like supposed max with the range of like, you know, three to five reps or something. You're still going to build tons of strength. And then, you know, throw in some workouts where you're, you got to finish out of like, biceps and triceps where you do curls and tricep extensions at a high rep range and really get that blood pump so that then you get that you know the 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 look of the muscle that you want so it it totally depends on your goals um for me personally like i love the idea of a balance of like being functionally strong right like being able to pick heavy shit up and also looking strong and lean and having muscles look a certain way so i train with a balance Okay, so I feel like that probably covers it for movement. Or is there any any last any final words on the movement piece before we move on? Maybe maybe like a couple quick points just to reiterate. Maybe like the main pieces here around movement. Um, I think I glossed over in zone two. Like we just talked about burning fat for fuel and that being one of the benefits, but then we kind of moved on to back to strength again. And I think there are other benefits that are worth mentioning and why people should be interested in incorporating some zone two, uh, like once or twice a week if they can. And uh, one, one has to do with mitochondrial function. And so dysfunction of our mitochondria is associated with age-related decline, whereas optimal mitochondrial function is associated with longevity. And so when we do zone two, that is uh, actually it, – it, it, instigates a process called mitochondrial biogenesis, which is essentially like the new formation of mitochondria. So for people that are interested in health and longevity, zone two is actually one of the best levers we can pull. Um, And also because zone two is like a lower intensity, we're not just crushing ourselves all the time, you know? So like the ability to recover is a little bit, easier i would say um i think i mentioned this before but like i kind of used to be the athlete that would go in the gym and just fucking go a thousand percent so hard you know and um for people that are listening to this that know me like still know that i (laughs) i definitely do that and i love that and there's something very therapeutic about it um but just in terms of like Aligning with my goals around health and longevity, it does not serve me to break my body down super hard in every workout. So zone two is a great way to get the benefits, the cardio benefits, without having to hit so much high intensity. Like you can be having a quote unquote rest day from going hard in the gym, but you're out taking some long walks or you're like a leisurely bike ride or something. Exactly. Yeah, long, long, honestly, a long, long walk probably doesn't qualify as zone two for most people. Mm. 
you probably need to be walking up a hill or maybe rucking, so carrying like a heavy pack or something. Um, walking would be more like zone one. Mm, okay. So, so like, a, like a brisk, easy bike a ride, walk. a little jog for most people, walking up a hill, rucking, that's kind of like the zone two sweet spot. Rowing on a rowing machine, you know, or rowing out in water, even better. Um, and then I think the last thing I'd want to say maybe on this topic is just like marrying nutrition and movement sort of together. Right. And just, I know I've said this a couple times now, but these two are just the ones that we can tweak and we kind of want them to align in such a way that like they're feeding into each other and supporting each other. Right. So like fueling our body so that we are capable of training the way we want and then training the way we want so that then we are able to fuel our bodies with the right things. Um, And that's again, sort of where the like balance of protein, fat and carbs comes from. So if like take example of someone who's super low carb, but they're hitting a bunch of like high intensity workouts in the gym, they're not going to be able to use fat. Like we said, fat we can use for energy in zone two, but it requires a lot of, it's just a slow process to get going. And so when we're doing high intensity, if we don't have available carbohydrate, we are going to start using protein and breaking our body down. And that's a kind of opposite of what most people are going for in their training, right? Like that's like basically like we're trying to build this super strong house and we're just like taking the foundation of the house, the building block of the house out and just using that for energy, like that doesn't really make much sense. So that's like one of the ways where we're trying to fuel ourselves for our, for our movement where like we might not be aligned, right? Like high, doing a ton of high intensity work on a super low carb diet, probably not the answer for most people. I love it. So, so once again, just knowing, like knowing ourselves, and knowing what our objectives are and just being really honest about it and not just following some trendy diet or some trendy fitness protocol because it's what your friends are doing. But like, what do you actually want and how do you want to look and how do you want to feel and how do you want to perform? And then eating and moving in such a way that supports that from all angles. Nutrition and movement, two of the the, the biggest, um, beefiest pillars, uh, which is why we spent a lot of time on them. And now we'll touch on the last three, which will just be quicker because... Um, yeah, they're less, they're less beefy. They're equally, they're important, but they're less beefy. Uh, do you want to go into sleep next? Yeah, we can do, let's do, uh, I think sleep is a good, a good place to go. Um, and I think it's interesting because like, yeah, we, we could spend so much time on nutrition and movement because I think that's just a reflection of where most people are spending their time and where there's probably the most just confusion and most amount of information and also probably the most that we don't know. You know, so it just leaves room for um, so many people to come in with with all the answers or all the theories. Whereas, like, when it comes to sleep, like, yeah, there's a lot we don't know, but there is a lot we do know. And if you just kind of, like, handle the sleep basics, you're going to be way ahead of the game. That said, if you are not prioritizing sleep, like, it almost... I'm not going to say it doesn't matter what you're eating and what you're doing in the gym, because of course it does. It, you know, it all matters, but like you were doing such a disservice if you're not prioritizing quality and quantity of sleep, it is probably the single most important thing for all of this to work. 
And we are living in a culture that unfortunately has not only normalized, but kind of glamorized being sleep deprived. You know, you, you look at like hustle culture and people wear uh, busyness and tiredness as a badge of honor. You know, you're someone like, oh, how are you? And they're like, oh, I'm so tired. I haven't slept in days. I'm getting up at four. You know, and it's just, it's, it's so glamorized that it becomes really normal. And it's almost like something people strive for. Like, I only need four hours of sleep a night. And I'm like, the fuck you do? Are you kidding me? Like, yes, some people do maybe naturally need a little bit less, but like most of us need a decent amount. And a lot of us are chronically underslept. Yeah. Yep. And there, there are definitely rare cases where people can like be totally fine on yeah, five, six hours of sleep. That is definitely, that is like the exception, not the rule, right? Like if you've got a bunch of friends telling you like, oh yeah, it's like slick six hours. That's all I get. But like, I'm totally fine. It's like, no, you're just like very accustomed at this point to being sleep deprived, but your life would change. The quality of your experience would change if you were regularly getting eight, nine hours of sleep. So everybody's heard that number. Um, I know it sounds like unattainable for a lot of people, especially, you know, busy people, people that only have time to get up really early to work out in the gym, kids, exactly. Like, it, yeah, it's, it, it can be tricky, but some of the things um, we can do is just to, to try to find that like consistent eight to nine hours is just be consistent with our routines. And so that usually looks like trying to go to bed at the same time every night. You know, it doesn't have to be the exact same time, but just like getting in a rhythm can be very helpful. Um, some of the other sleep hygiene things that I'm sure at this point most people have heard of um, are just making sure that your room is cool and dark. And so that's usually like, what do we, we usually sleep around like 64 or so, 63, 64 degrees or something like that. That might be a little bit on the cool end, but probably anything over 68, 69 is probably a little bit too warm for most people. Um, you know, the classic stuff, avoiding screens, especially, you know, there's the concerns around blue light and that just like fucking with your circadian rhythm. And I think that's all very valid, but also just the, like the, the slow process of disconnecting from all of the stimulation of the modern world, I think can be really valuable. So even like set aside the biological shit that's going on with the blue light, like if you're just checking Instagram, like right before bed or you're reading an email or something like, so what is that doing to your mental state as you're trying to unwind, you know? So having a little routine where maybe, um, you know, phones go away, screens go away, whatever, 30 minutes, an hour before bedtime. And you can kind of like sort of bring yourself down to like a soft landing for lack of a better phrase. Um, and then uh, what else we've got? White noise. White noise. You like white noise? I like white noise so much. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, like a baby in a nursery. I need like... <laughs> Just waterfalls and rain in the background. What do you like about it? Just that it's soothing or? Yeah, I think it just, it creates like a, a, a uniformity. Whereas otherwise I'm listening to, we live, um, there's a kind of a busy street just down the hill from us. And so I'm like hearing the traffic or I'm hearing birds or I'm hearing neighbors or I'm hearing, I don't know, construction at 7am in the morning. Whereas the white noise just like creates this like sound, sound blanket around my head. Yeah. 
I think that could be a useful tool. I don't think I would put that in the like, I recommend everybody use a white noise machine. Like, uh, As you know. Know, if you need it, that's fine. One thing I will say about that is like, and I've noticed this with myself is that when I become accustomed to a sound machine, when I don't have it, it feels eerily quiet, even if it's like perfectly quiet. Nothing is outside, you know, alerting me or waking me up. So we can really like kind of train ourselves into needing something like that as a crutch. I wouldn't say that that is sort of a requirement for quality sleep the way some of these other things are. Yeah. Yes. Uh, cold, cold and dark have been the game changers for cold me, I've noticed. For sure. Cold yeah. and dark. I feel like those are the, the two most important sleep hygiene. I also just love, I love the phrase sleep hygiene. You know, it just, it's I was also like um, energy hygiene. It's like, you think of something like personal hygiene or dental hygiene. These are all no brainers. Like we all want to take care of our teeth. We all want to take care of our personal hygiene. And so thinking of it as this like non-negotiable part of our health, um, we don't just zonk into bed and hope for the best. Like there's so many things we can do to be intentional about it. And, and I, you know, I've talked to a lot of clients and friends who really struggle with sleep. And, you know, sometimes it's on the extreme end of insomnia and it can be so debilitating and stressful to have that. And so it's like we, regardless of wh whether we struggle or we're pretty easy with sleep, it's like we may as well do all the things that we can do to be intentional about, like you were saying before, it's not just the quantity of sleep, but it's like the, the quality of sleep. And no, I think that was it. Quantity and quality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Consistency. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The last two things I think are. Uh, just being cognizant of, of like, if you're eating a huge meal right before going to bed, then your body is like switching into digestion mode. And uh, it's going to be it's gonna you're, you're just going to have a harder time getting into those deep sleep patterns. Um, because your body's working so hard to digest this big meal. So if you can try to avoid eating big meals, you know, 90 minutes maybe before you plan to fall asleep would be safe two hours if you're being conservative. Um, and then caffeine intake is probably the other one that uh, most people are like kind of unaware of how much that is affecting their sleep, mainly because they're in this cycle of kind of never being off caffeine. And I can kind of like put myself in that category as well. But for the average person, the like the half life of caffeine is somewhere in the range of five or six hours. So that means if you have a cup of coffee, you know, at 3 p.m. with 120 milligrams of caffeine in it, at 9 p.m. you still have 60 milligrams of caffeine in your bloodstream, right? And so that can be, um, yeah, that can just be messing up your your circadian rhythm. And then of course you wake up in the morning and you go like right for that cup of coffee and you're just like right back on that roller coaster again. Um, so I noticed for me, like I don't actually, I try to do my best to not consume caffeine after 1 PM. And for times that I do, I almost invariably notice a reduction in either my ability to fall asleep or stay asleep. So if anybody out there is struggling and they realize that they're drinking quite a bit of caffeine throughout the day, especially later in the day, I would strongly urge you to just try for a little while to see if you can move that last cup of coffee a bit earlier and see if your sleep quantity and or quality improves. 
So again, like being, being really aware and noticing how we feel and how we respond to things. I know some of us are more sensitive to caffeine than others, but what would you say is like a general rule of thumb for the average person who's going to bed at like, I don't know, a quote unquote reasonable time, like 10 or 11 at, at night or something? When, when should our last cup of coffee ish be? I mean, like noon? I said, for me, I say one, I think noon is probably better, you know? Yeah. Um, but maybe unrealistic. So yeah. So somewhere in there. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Anything else on sleep or I feel like that that's no, I think solid. that's pretty, I think that's pretty good. So let's hit, um, stress and then let's hit stress first. Cause it's the more unpleasant one. And then we'll end with community because it's so lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, so managing stress, I, I brought this up earlier when we were just kind of doing the overview of each of these pillars, but, um, I think chronic stress has just become such a part of our lives in the world these days. And uh, it's almost because just like become normalized, you know, or like whether it's the stress of work or the stress of traffic or the stress of family, raising kids, um, family, yeah. Partnerships, friends, politics, politics. Great one. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, certainly not to get like too political on it, but, um, you know, the, the kind of like outrage machine and, uh, yeah, the, the, like throwing, the throwing of fuel on the fire of all of these things through social media and stuff. Like it's just, it's hard, it's, it's a harder place to navigate from like a mental emotional standpoint than, than I think it used to be. So, um, having some sort of practice that you can go to. And again, it's like, this is just, this totally depends. It's whatever works for you. Um, it could be breathing techniques. It could be journaling. It could be a meditation practice. It could be like just going out in nature and, you know, grounding your feet or, um, I'm sure you've got some other, this is like kind of in your but for me personally, it's it's the walks, the daily walks, the at least once, sometimes twice a day walks, or like sometimes I'm just walking and listening to the birds and saying hi to all the neighborhood cats. Sometimes I'm walking with you and we're chatting about our day, or that's when we get into some of our deepest talks. Sometimes I'm listening to a podcast or audiobook. And when I it's like a the moving meditation for me is so soothing. It's the thing that kind of like anytime I get riled up or stressed for any reason, that's like my 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 medicine. It's the thing that works so consistently for me. But yeah, for a lot of people, maybe it's more meditation or it's a, you know, it's, it, it could be just you doing your own meditation or breathing, or you could be listening to a guided breathwork session or guided visualization or guided meditation. Um, even just laying on the ground and like letting the ground hold you and feeling held. Like when we feel really ungrounded and up in our heads and frazzled and things, um, co-regulating with somebody else or another, like a pet can be so good like cuddling with a pet or cuddling with or hugging or just sitting with a friend or a partner and just like calming your nervous systems together, talking things out with someone. So many mindfulness techniques and apps and modalities and things out there. And again, it's just more about finding what works for you, I think. And finding like, you know, the thing that you might do consistently. (laughs) 
Like don't force yourself to sit still in silence for 10 minutes to meditate every day if you hate it. You know, find something that is actually enjoyable so that you're likely to do it on a consistent basis. And then maybe now and then you test something new or you experiment or get out of your comfort zone. But consistency is key again. Yeah, I love that. I love that because there's just so many. There's just so, yeah, like you said, there's so many different avenues. Um, there's there's no reason to like force ourselves into one that we hate and we're not going to do. Like how many times have you heard someone be like, oh, I, I know I should meditate, but like I've tried and I suck and I can't, you know, and it's like, it's just fine. Who can, like you don't have to meditate to be a healthy individual. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's okay. There are other things we can do. Uh, and I think, so yeah, I think also just understanding the difference between chronic and acute stress. And I know I mentioned this earlier when we were just like kind of going over the, the, the pillars, but um, recognizing when something is like chronically stressing you out and overriding your ability to just function or cope versus acute stress, which can actually be a really positive thing. And it can both be intentional. Like if you're you know, working out, I use that as an example, like sauna, cold plunge, those are acute stressors that ideally are going to, we're going to reap benefits from practicing on a regular basis, but also certain forms of breath work, certain forms of breath work. Exactly. Yep. Um, but also recognizing that like an acute stressor, like it's, it's very finite in time, you know, and that's, even if it's not something planned, like it's an opportunity to overcome something and really flex that muscle of like mental fortitude that oftentimes we get and develop through doing those intentional acute stressing practices, right? Like that's one of the great benefits of cold plunges is like that shit is hard, right? And it's mentally very, very challenging so that now, you know, when something else comes up, like you are equipped with the tools to be able to overcome some other element. It's like you're building resilience. You're building the ability to, you're, you're getting comfortable being uncomfortable so that you know you can handle challenges and hurdles, which is such a, such a ninja skill yeah. to train. It's, it's really just that like kind of low level underlying chronic stress that's eating away at you that is the most insidious, you know? And that's the stuff we really want to attempt to, um, attempt to manage as best we can. And so I would put in the same category, um, I would put like emotional health or I don't know if you have like a better word for it, but essentially what I'm getting at is like the, just the, the processing of emotions. Which we are so bad at as a society. <laughs> we are, you know, previous generations have conditioned us to think you're not supposed to feel your feelings, but we really, really, really need to feel our feelings. And there's so many ways to feel our feelings in super healthy, helpful, empowering ways. And I think, I think we're getting there slowly as a culture, but we have a lot of work to do. And, you know, just, just recognizing that all our feelings are valid and it's okay to feel them. You can just learn how to navigate those emotions in a way that's more helpful. Like, so instead of having an angry outburst and punching your boss in the face because he's being a dickhead, which might hurt your career, you know, you can find ways to feel the feelings of anger and resentment and judgment or whatever it is as soon as it comes up, but you process it in helpful ways. Like you're, 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 I mean, 
so much, so many of us, I think we're just conditioned to even, we're afraid to feel the feelings at all. So we stuff them down. And then that's when they come exploding out at the inopportune moments later. Whereas if we get to a place where like, as soon as we feel a feeling, we pause and we just notice it and we, we be with it, we sit with it and recognize that it's like, if you're the mountain, this is just a storm cloud that's passing through. And the more that you can just notice it and like, let it pass through you, then you get through it. It's when we resist it, that it persists. Um, that famous phrase, what you resist persists, I find to be very, very true with anger. And so there's so many different ways to feel our feelings to, um, you know, there's all sorts of somatic practices and breath work you can do and angry dance parties and swamping from a Mama Gina practice or, you know, primal screaming or yelling into a pillow or punching your bed or all these different things, even a great workout or a walk outside. It's changing your physical state, changing your environment. There's all these things, having a good, ugly cry and, the more that we learn to not be afraid of our feelings and, but just recognize it's just part of the human experience. And they're actually awesome. The more that we can expand our emotional range by daring to feel the hard feelings, the more we also expand the top of our range and get to feel the really good feelings too. So two, there are two metaphors that um, come up that I, man, I'm totally blanking on. I think these were from a book. I think they were both from the same book, but uh, one was, like thinking about emotions as just a flowing river. And so if you really start to pay attention, like to your emotions and how you're feeling, like you will realize that like you're pinging back and forth all the time. And in the span of like five minutes, you might go from happy to frustrated to angry to like elated to, you know, and it's just like, wow, it's just like happening all the time. Um, and just allowing ourselves to like feel the emotions and let the river run is is like you know just the way to keep everything very healthy and in this metaphor like the river can get blocked up like there's this like evil troll that like starts damming up the river you know with like sticks and stones and stuff and like all of a sudden the the river of emotion isn't quite flowing and oftentimes it's like the ones that are sort of the quote-unquote negative emotions and not to say that they're bad they're just more uncomfortable feelings in our body right so like if we're you know not accustomed to like feeling sad or crying like we stuff that down or if we like don't know how to express anger in a healthy way like we just stuff that down and like the more that this river gets clogged up, the more force there is like being dammed up. And then eventually it's going to break and whatever's downstream of that, you know, is going to get basically flooded. And like in the, in the extension of this metaphor, obviously that would, that could be your partner, you know, snapping at your partner in a way you wouldn't, or like a family member, a coworker, or your kids. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so just making sure we're doing the work so as to not, dam up the river of emotion as it flows really important then the other one one might even call it call it emotional hygiene oh i like this let's go and then uh the other one was around just doing like the daily the daily maintenance of allowing yourself to feel your feelings and it was like you know think of your think of emotions and feelings as like one pound weights right and like you can pick up and move one pound weights all day. You pick it up, you take it out of the house, you drop it in the trash or whatever, you know, like whatever you're doing, you're dealing with it. But if you just don't do anything and you just let it pile up and all of a sudden you have like a thousand pounds of weights 
all of a sudden that becomes like very crippling, right? Like how are we going to be able to move a thousand pounds, you know? And then you kind of get stuck and you can be frozen and that can really affect the quality of your life too, because, you know, you may be really guarded in your relationships or you, again, you may like lash out or whatever. So all of that to say, um, just the healthy processing is, is the key to, yeah, to, I think a happy, healthy life. And connecting it to just the bigger picture of health and all these different pillars that we're talking about, instead of waiting until the symptoms get, get dramatically bad and we have to go to the hospital or to the doctor. It's like the little daily things that we can do that are preventative, that are just lifestyle things that are, that help us thrive in the day to day, instead of waiting until we break one way or another. Um, I love those metaphors. Those are so good. I was thinking one more thing I was going to say about that. What was it? Uh, oh, the other thing I was going to say was that a lot of us, because we you, typically in our in our schooling or in our homes and stuff, we haven't necessarily been raised or conditioned with with like the vocabulary around emotions. So a lot of us like we don't we don't know how to talk about it. And I would say like there's a lot of ways that you can get better at talking about it and articulating what you're feeling and all sorts of resources and people you can talk to. But in the meantime, I think a great thing to do is just notice what's happening in your body as a way of starting to get to know yourself and, and cultivating more awareness around like your physiological response to things. And so like, let's say you're feeling really angry or jealous or sad or um, confused or frustrated. Like you can sit there. This is great as a meditation too. And there's, you know, a million different um, specific techniques and stuff, but where you can just sit there and you can even set a timer for like two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes and be like, okay, body, what are you feeling right now? And just notice, I think we touched on this in the, um, the episode with Edmund Lau, you can go back to that too, but it's like, you know, I'm feeling really sad, but like sad is just this concept. What does it sad feel like in my body? And I know for me, I'm like, sad typically feels like a, a tightness or a lump in my throat. What does anger feel like? Anger feels like I'm clenching my fists, like I'm about to punch someone in the face. It feels like clenching my jaw. It feels like tightness in my neck and shoulders. Like, okay, what does um, frustration feel like? It feels like tightness in my entire fucking body. And like, I'm, I can't decide if I want to like lay down in the fetal position or like run away or climb a tree. Like it's just this general discomfort, you know? And then, oh, it's like fear is like maybe a pit, like a, like a nausea in the lower part of my abdomen or something. So it's so interesting just once you start to notice what's happening in your body and you can get really curious. And I swear half the time when you just sit with it and notice and like honor the fact that there's something happening in your body and you're having feelings, by the time you finish noticing what's happening, like the emotion has shifted and you're kind of like, oh, I'm over it. Or like, I feel a lot better. Or I'm realizing that this is just a temporary thing. Just one final point there maybe is just acknowledging that like anything, this kind of emotional regulation takes practice. You know, we don't go to the gym once and then expect to be jacked. Like that's not the way it works. Like you, you just show up and you do the work consistently every day. And so just committing to, you know, realizing that like you're not going to get it right every time and you're going to fumble through it, but over time you will get better at recognizing like what it is that you need and just committing to committing to the process, you know? And I think especially just, especially as men that like haven't had a ton of good examples of like healthy emotional processing, like we spend so much fucking time, like in the gym working on our bodies, you know, if we spent even half that time working on our emotional intelligence, (laughs) Um, we'd be in such a better place. So that's just like an, an advertisement for doing this to greatly increase the 
just quality of your life and the quality of your relationships. Relationships, 100%. Yeah, which is a great segue. Need it. Speaking of relationships, yes, the last pillar of health is what? Is community. Yay. What does community mean to you? Community to me means uh, connection with the people, the people being whoever in different contexts. Sometimes it's family, sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's colleagues. Um, sometimes community is online for me. I like to find communities of online. I've created my own community now, as you know, online, Dream Life Academy. And it it's so helpful to be around like-minded people who you can like nerd out on a passion with. But also, like you touched on earlier when you mentioned this, is that sometimes community very importantly, also means in person. I really believe that we as humans are hardwired to need physical touch. Um, some of us, it's a, our love language. Some of us want lots more of it. But just being with people where you can connect in a way that feels safe and you can let your guard down and you can be vulnerable and you can trust each other and you can collaborate and you can brainstorm and you can work together and you can support each other. It's just so we, we need it on like such a deep soul level. And I think on a like physiological level too, we need it for our physical health and our mental, emotional well-being as well. Yeah, we're just so hard hardwired that way. And there's such a crisis of loneliness out there and just lack of meaning. And it is very, I just, it's really, I think it's really sad. Um, and I mean, there are so many studies that are coming out that show that, you know, the happiest people are the ones that are, connected deeply to communities, whether it's family or friends or, you know, people oftentimes it's like the blue zones, you know, where people oftentimes are living to a hundred or older. Like what is the thing, you know, everybody's always been looking like what's the diet that they're doing or like what's yeah. the specific exercise plan or whatever. And every time it's, it's actually, we realize like it's coming back to community, right? They feel like they both, they have a belonging, they have a purpose. There's a connection to something greater than themselves. They're of service. It's all of that stuff. So huge. And the good news is like, yes, there's a crisis of loneliness right now. The pandemic certainly didn't help a lot of people working remotely and living alone and not having a partner and feeling like I'm just alone in the world. Like it is so heartbreaking. And the good news is all of this is solvable. <laughs> like if you, um, I mean, unless you live completely alone in the forest by yourself, like generally speaking, most people are somewhere near other people. So even if you don't have community right now, you can go out and find it. You can go out and create it. There's so many ways. I mean, Chris and I would probably be like, just join a gym, join any gym. <laughs> you know, it's like gyms tend to be such a great place to start, but it can be join a club, join um, a client of mine was just telling me about uh, kind of like a co-working space in the city in San Francisco that also is like there's like different clubs within it and there's, it's like a social thing and there's all sorts of different um, features they have and activities. Like there's so many, you can join a sports team, you can join a singing group, you can join a, I don't know, there's, there's community out there for you or you can create it yourself and just, we need it so desperately. I think that's a, probably a, a great segue too, to just closing this comp. Well, I don't know if we're, if we're there yet, or if you have more things you want to get to, how long have we been going for? Um, we're, we're bumping up against Joe Rogan style. Man, I know. I feel like we could easily go like three hours on this topic. No I problem. It's really important. Follow up. Yeah. Part two. If we, if we have to, we can, we can cut this into two, but I think we'll probably keep this one. Um, but yeah, what I was going to say is just that I'm really appreciating your perspective on, um, 
just shifting from, yeah, like, yeah, this is a sad thing, but like, there's so much possibility, you know, and really putting the, just the autonomy and the power back in people's hands to go and change their life for the better, which is just essentially what your whole existence, not just your podcast and your business, but like is what your whole existence is about. And like how I started this episode too, you know, it just like, there's some pretty horrific statistics we started with. And at the same time, guess what? Like there's so much we can do to improve. So we really just, we got to recognize where we are. It's hard to, it's hard to like know where we're going if we don't even know where we are. But from that place, then it just opens up all the possibilities of ways that we can improve our lives, which I'm all for. 100%. Yeah. It's an opportunity and we can absolutely, like, I kind of want to say it's never too late. Like it's never too late to start with what you have, where you are, even if it feels like insurmountable, there's just so much we can do every day. And a lot of the things we can do with all these pillars, they're, they're actually pretty straightforward and, you know, they're simple. They're not easy, (laughs) but the better, the more we do them, the better we get at them. And it, you know, starts to become habit. So hell yeah. Um, Is that, is that, do you feel complete on our five pillars? And then we, we can go into a quick little story about my, my personal story and then rapid fire questions. Sure. Yeah, I think that's I think that's good. Um, if anybody is still like hanging on out there, kudos to you. That was a lot. Yeah, it's our super fans now. Um, so, thank you. We appreciate you listening. And I mean, the good news is you don't have to consume this entire episode all in one sitting. You can do it in uh, bite-sized chunks. So um, I would love to share my experience this summer because. I just think it's a good, it's a good case study for exactly everything we just talked about. And so now it feels really personal to me because I've, um, I've had like kind of a deeper experience of this stuff, stuff in a way that I hadn't before. And I got some results that, um, that I wasn't even expecting. It was like a very pleasant surprise. And a lot of people have asked me a lot of questions about it. So I wanted to just share my story and then, um, yeah, Chris can share a little bit about just like why it worked. And then I'd love to do some rapid fire questions at the end. So for my, um, I'm just calling it like my my body transformation from the summer of 2023, I guess. What happened was we, we were in Italy for a wedding. We were there for two weeks and we started talking about, you know, like, okay, when we get back, you know, what's our plan? And we've got four months before we go to Costa Rica and we're like, ah, oh, you know, be nice, yeah, beach body, whatever. And Chris and I are always finding little like fun ways to motivate ourselves and um, little challenges and things. And we're like, okay, four months, you can, you can do a lot in four months. And we're like, all right, let's get fit as fuck. You know, we're always stoked for fitness, but we're just like talking about different, you know, what's your plan? What's your plan? And I had heard of the idea of counting macros. And I, you know, the more I hang out with health coaches and other gym bros, like just, it's, it's just talked about. And I was always kind of like, I don't even really know what that is. I'd never tried it. If you know me, you know, I'm like, food is for me. I love food, but I've never really like put much thought into it. Um, I've been lucky enough to have Chris as like basically my personal chef for the last 12 years. Um, and so I, I never really paid that much attention to food and I've kind of gotten away with it. But finally I was like, what if I, what if I like paid attention? I wonder what would happen. And then he was telling me about counting macros and stuff, but I just, I was literally talking shit about it for weeks. I was just like, that sounds boring and horrible. Like, don't you have to get a food scale and weigh your food? I feel like that would take all the joy out of it. And like, what am I going to bring my scale to the restaurant? That's bullshit. Like I just... I was talking so much shit, but then we kept talking about it. And the more I talked shit about it, the more I realized I was actually really curious. And so then I started asking Chris all these questions, like, how does it actually work? What's a fucking macro? Like, what do you, what do you use an app? What is it? And so he, 
gave me the full breakdown. And I was like, okay, well now I just need to see for myself how this whole thing works. Like I'm going to try it. I'll try it for a week or two. If I hate it, then whatever. But basically my goal was like, let me just see what I'm putting into my body. Cause I really have no idea. I'd heard that protein was really important. But I had no idea how much I was eating. I didn't know how much I needed. Um, and so I was like, let me just try it. And so he taught me all the things I had my general, you know, I filled out the whole uh, calculator and I, I was going for like, I wasn't, I wasn't specifically trying to gain weight or lose weight specifically. So I just, I basically put maintenance, but I put, there's an option where you can choose, um, what's it called? Body recomposition. Correct. I think, which basically just means like, you just want to like uh, lean out and tone and, you know, sculpt a little bit. And I was like, let's do that. And so I put all that stuff in. I started using the app called my fitness pal. I started weighing and measuring my food, which was completely new to me. And it was a tiny bit of a pain in the ass in the first few days. But honestly, after that, we eat so much of the same shit most days that it actually like, then it's just already in there. You just click, click one button and it's boom, it's done. And within a week or two, I recognized that, okay, I am not, I was shooting for 150 grams of protein a day, approximate body weight. And I was like, I am getting nowhere near that. And everything I was starting to learn about protein, which now you've all heard too, I was like, oh shit. Okay. So I was probably getting, I forget, but it was probably more like 70 or 80 or something a day. And so then I just started trying, like my main priority was just prioritize protein. I was vaguely watching my full calories per day and I was vaguely keeping an eye on the ratios. I, I forget what mine were. It was something, it was pretty equal. It was like 33, 37, 35 or something like that. Um, but as soon as I started prioritizing protein, it was like my whole world just kind of changed and trying to get that much protein in for me was definitely a challenge in the beginning. Like I was like, suddenly I'd never done protein shakes or, you know, I knew Chris and like all of his gym friends, our friends were doing protein shakes and putting creatine in them and stuff. And I was like, I don't know, isn't that what people do if they're just trying to like bulk up or if they're trying to like lift heavier and I don't really care, but I started doing protein shakes and I started doing creatine and I started just having a better idea of what I was putting in my mouth. And it felt so, it was like the, the amount that I felt empowered by it and just knowing my numbers and seeing what was going in. And then it became like, you guys know, I love to gamify things. So I started gamifying it. And then I was just like, I became this like protein fiend and it was really fun. I was like texting photos to Chris being like, I just ate fucking leftover plain chicken for a snack. Like who even am I right now? And it was really fun to just watch my mindset shift around it. And I started noticing all these changes when I was eating more protein, like I had more energy. I could focus for longer periods of time with work. I could lift heavier. I had more energy to work out. I was just like sleeping better. Um, you guys know I have a huge sweet tooth. So I generally, and I don't restrict myself, but I was naturally finding that my palate was changing. I was naturally finding I was, I still eat sweets in somewhere in that, you know, 20%, but like I was noticing that I'm just craving sugar less. I was craving all my like, I love carbs. I love bread, pasta, pizza, anything that has like bread and cheese on it, you know? And I just was craving less of that stuff in general. And I was feeling so good because of the protein. And so, you know, I knew I had four months to kind of do this little experiment, but even within like the first, I don't know, four to six weeks, I just started noticing a lot of differences. I started noticing, um, I was weighing myself every day, which I wouldn't necessarily necessarily recommend for a lot of people, especially some women, because they'll get obsessive about it. And then it becomes like more of a, um, a way to beat yourself up. So, but for me, I was doing it because I knew I didn't really have stuff around that. And it just became an interesting way to track, you know, my weight fluctuates a ton, like three to five pounds in a day easily, but the average started going down. I probably averaged around like somewhere around like 147, 148 when I started. And after 
a month or two, I was kind of down in the like 142, 143. So we'll call it within the first like 10 weeks or so. Um, in the before and after picture I, I posted on Instagram, like let's just say I lost five pounds-ish, which I, I wasn't intending to lose weight, but it just happened very naturally because of the way I was eating. And so I kind of like leaned out naturally and I got stronger because of the way I was able to function in the gym. Um, I also started, we at the same time started really focusing on the, on the walking thing too. I was shooting for 10,000 steps a day, but probably it's probably averaging like 8,000 ish. And so all these little things, like none of it was actually, I was surprised by none of it was actually as hard as I thought it would be. None of it was as annoying as I thought it would be. And it actually was kind of fun because it was so gamified and it wasn't brutal because we weren't being super strict about it. Like I mentioned before, I was just, you know, three to four days a week. I was kind of tracking it mostly, mostly with an eye toward protein. And then like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we we're like, fuck it, whatever, go out for dinner, you know, have drinks with friends, having a great time, not worrying about any, about any of it. But even just doing that, I started seeing all these results. And so we kind of kept it going for the full, full four months, but even within like the fun part was just posting that photo after 10 weeks and being able to see, like, if you look at the photo, you know, when we started, I was like, I'm, I'm fit. I'm strong. I'm like leanish. I, I like the way I look. I like the way I feel. Let's just see what's possible. But when you look at the before and after photos, like in the first photo, I definitely look a lot fluffier around the midsection than I do in the second photo where suddenly there's a lot of definition that I just have honestly never seen before in my life. Um, and it was so cool because it was kind of like an accident. Like I knew I was just doing this experiment, but it was so fun. And, you know, I've been getting all sorts of comments. My clothes are fitting differently. And uh, like the kinds of comments we we're getting on those posts, it was hilarious because everyone's like, what was your diet? And like, what are the recipes you recommend? You know, and I'm like, it, there, it wasn't really like a diet and there's not any specific re recipes I followed. It was literally just everything we talked about. It's just following these pillars. And at the same time, you know, we're definitely focusing on community a lot this year. Um, definitely prioritizing sleep because of how much we work out too. I just, we, we probably sleep eight to nine hours a night on average. And for the most part, I sleep like an absolute champ because I need it. So I'll pause there, but coach Chris, is there anything you would add or just like insight you would insert into this like case study about kind of why that worked? No, I think that was a pretty thorough recap. Um, I would say just, you know, being sort of your guide and partner as we, you know, went through it, it was just, it was really inspiring and fascinating to watch. Um, it's just, <laughs> it's also, this is like a reflection of how things go when I like teach you new things that you're really eager about. Like, they end up being things that I've either known for a long time or I'm like really excited about and like do for myself, but then you learn and then you just crush it way harder than, than I do. <laughs> so my, my experience <laughs> of watching that was like, of course she just took everything that I knew and then just like did a better job applying it and gets these like amazing results. So very like 99% proud of you with like 1% of resentment. But that's okay. <laughs> um, other, that's okay. We have a lot of things in the other way that things that come really easily to you that I'm like, what the, how do you? The, the, the other thing I will say is that um, it's pretty clear that you were just on average over those, how many weeks was it? 10 weeks or 12 weeks? 
10 weeks for like the before and after photo, yeah. but we, you know, I pretty much kept it going until. Yeah. So we let's just use there. those 10 weeks of the before and after. I think weeks, that's yeah. the biggest, that, that was like the starkest contrast, I would say. And yeah. what I will say is in those 10 weeks, like based on both your results and your numbers, like it's clear to me that you were in on average a caloric deficit. Yes. So, and that probably has to do with a couple factors. I would say, number one, you increased your like movement, right? Like you were getting more yeah. steps a day. So, uh, so like right there, that's, you know, even if that's just the five to 10% exercise activity thermogenesis that we were talking about before, like there's still enough calories there that you're burning from extra movement that then you weren't consuming yeah. that put you in a deficit. And then also I would say, um, just like maybe based on some genetic factors about how your metabolism works, but like the, the macro calculator that we used, you know, that we pointed people to earlier, the functional bodybuilding macro calculator, like it's, it's spitting out a guesstimate based on a formula, you know? And so yeah. if over time you notice, you know, like on average each week you're going down in weight, it just means you're consuming less calories than you uh, were burning. And once I learned about the whole concept of NEAT, I was, I was not just, you know, working out and then taking walks. I was making, I was very intentionally like moving around a lot during the day. Cause once I understood how big of a factor that was, I was like, oh shit, I'm going to be one of those neat people. <laughs> I'm just going to like get up and do dishes in every break from work and just like bop around. Yeah. And so just what I would say is like, based on just observation and the data, like whatever your target was, it was like 17 or 1800 calories a day or something. Like something like yeah, that. Yeah, that was just clearly on the low end for what you were actually expending through both movement and through just like your natural metabolism. So, hence the. Ooh, one thing I'll, I'll I'll also add to that I noticed was that like so right away within the first couple of weeks I recognized I wasn't getting nearly enough protein. I also um, I had kind of suspected it, but it was interesting to watch the numbers. Like I. I for a while had been like, oh, I love healthy fats. I love avocado and I love butter and I love whole fat milk. And I love like, I just love healthy fats, which is great. Healthy fats are great for you. But I hadn't quite understood. Like Chris had told me the math about the like nine versus four um, calories per gram or grams per calorie, calories per gram. I'm clearly not the math person. Uh -huh. um, but, but I just like hadn't like kind of understood it intellectually, but I didn't really understand what that actually meant in real life. And then once I started seeing the amount of calories per meal where I was doing my normal, like high fat stuff, I was like, holy shit, I just basically ate all my calories for the day in this one meal, you know? And like, I also love mayo. So I'd be like, I'd have an avocado and then I'd have mayo on the whatever. And then I'd make something in butter. Okay, and then I would, well, and I was geez. like, what? Yeah. I'd put like a, like a teaspoon of coconut oil in my coffee, in both coffees every day. And I eat a ton of cheese and like whole milk. And then I was like, okay. So I love healthy fats, but I don't need to consume this much of them. Cause I'm, I was probably just going way over my caloric needs for the day. So that was another adjustment that kind of made it easy. I just started like not going so all out ham on the full fat, healthy fats all the time. So that kind of made it easy to go into the deficit, I think. Too. And this is like, this is a great time to bring up like that fat is just, fat is not the enemy, you know, like we went through yeah, our whole, yeah. like fat is bad low fat, no fat craze. Like nobody got any healthier as a result of that. Um, you know, that whole, that's a, a topic for an entirely another podcast, but like, it's yeah. not that fat is the problem. It's that it's just really easy to overeat calories. If you're eating a high fat diet, 
right? Because of how calorically dense fat is. So fat is necessary. We need fat. It's just, it's very, like you said, if you're like coconut oil, cooking everything in tons of butter, full fat yogurt, full fat milk, it's like that is not inherently unhealthy. It's just what are your goals? What is your calorie target if you have any body composition goals? And like, just be mindful of the fact that if you're eating high fat, it's really easy to very quickly blast over that. And then you're not going to actually get to your goals. And I think one of the things I liked about some of the um, high fat foods I was eating is because it would make me more satiated than say a bunch of like higher carb things. Um, But then I realized once I started eating more protein, I'm like equally, if not more well satiated from eating enough protein. And then that's the better ratio. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. So um, that was my little transformation. Feel free to have a look at the photo on, again, I think it was September 22nd. It's on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, It was pretty cool to just see that. And like, now I know I've done that. I'm not being quite as um, dialed with things while we're here on vacation, but I think this is just kind of my new norm. I'm probably going to mostly keep all of this going. Like it was meant as an experiment, but now it's just really just like a new lifestyle. Um, And, and I think I mentioned too, we, like we didn't cut out, I didn't cut out anything. I didn't cut out sugar or alcohol or carbs or processed food. It was just like all that's all the like less healthy stuff just hung out more in the 20% of the 80-20 category. So it made it really manageable and like quite enjoyable. We still went out to eat a ton and enjoyed all the stuff we like. So and it's just really like that's my story. These habits too. I mean, they just, there's very much a snowball effect. You know, it's like when I think you, obviously you can speak to this better, but like in my experience, when people start prioritizing protein and their training in a particular way, it's like not only does it inspire you to try to be like a little bit more on point with your food choices and stuff, but like you're just more satiated in that you are then craving those things less. Like oftentimes when we undereat, particularly when we undereat protein, that's the time when like later in the afternoon we're like, holy shit, I'm going to go to town on this like snack cupboard right now. Like nothing is safe, you know? Yeah. So it was really fun. And I'm so glad I had Chris as my guide because had I been doing that just on my own, I honestly probably wouldn't have had the, I'm like terrible at research. I would have looked into it for five minutes and been like, yeah, that looks hard. I'm not going to do it. But he, once he was able to break it down for me, I was like, this is actually not that hard and it's actually really fun. So thanks coach Chris for being my, my supervisor and guide on that whole (laughs) journey um, and continue to be in our daily lives. But um, shall we, can I just hit you with some rapid fire questions and then we'll wrap things up? Yeah, do it. Bring it. Do it. All right. So I just pulled out some questions that are like the ones that I feel like are just out in the ether. You always kind of hear people asking this kind of stuff. So what would you say to someone who's like, yada, 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 healthy, of course, like, sure, I want to prevent disease and all this stuff. But really what I care about, Chris, is I I just want to lose 10 pounds. I just want to lose the last 10 goddamn fucking pounds. Yeah. What do I do? Um, That's a very common, common question or statement, rather. I suppose there's not a question there, just a statement. Um, and I think that one is one that just warrants more questions, honestly, in response, Mm. you know, probably trying to get, dig a little deeper into like what, what is underneath this desire to lose 10 pounds. And, you know, maybe like someone who's pretty overweight, like they really do want to lose 10 pounds, you know, but oftentimes like someone who's like, ah, I just want to lose that last five pounds. or Ah, I just want to lose that last 10 pounds. Like, Either A, there's like something going on underneath there that's maybe a little deeper that we can unearth, you know, that would be worth talking about. 
or they're just using the wrong terminology for what they really want, which is just to lose a little bit of body fat and probably gain a little bit of muscle. So like you brought this up, but, but body recomposition, it's essentially like most, that's actually what most people want when they say, I want to lose weight. It's just, that's, you know, part of the lexicon, but it's not actually, I don't think accurate terminology. Um, so I think I would just love to lose a bit of body fat for sure. We can work with that. What's the best way we're going to do that? Well, we're going to take a look at what you're consuming in terms of food. We're going to build some muscle because we've determined that that's the best way to, uh, lose body fat, you know? And so from there, um, we can kind of get yeah underneath what the, what the what the claim is there. Love that. That's such a good answer. And the the kind of the um, the follow up to that question, which is also aligned with just like the the I think common myths, is like, but shouldn't I just do cardio if I want to lose weight? Um. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like we we probably dispelled that one earlier. Um just recognizing that so little of your daily caloric energy expenditure is like actually coming from the exercise that you do that by doing cardio, you're, you're like not going to move the needle by doing more hard cardio. What's going to move the needle is getting you in like a calorie deficit. And what's going to help you with that is increasing your basal metabolic rate. And what's going to cause that is lifting weights and strength training and building skeletal muscle. So that's really the area that we should be focused on. If you want to do cardio, like, fuck yeah, do cardio because certainly there's a few extra calories that we're going to burn there. Again, really great for cardio, cardiovascular health, great for mental health and getting outside and all the other things we talked about. Um, but yeah, not really not the way if what we want is to body recomp. So speaking of lifting weights, uh, what if say, let's, especially as women, like I want to lift weights and I, I, I hear that it's important and I know I should, but like, I'm really afraid of bulking up. I don't want to look like those like CrossFit competition girls. Yeah. 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 That's, that's one of my favorites. Um, so it's not like those CrossFit girls just like went to the gym three days a week and lifted a few weights and all of a sudden, you know, had enormous arms and traps and whatever, whatever it is that you're kind of like objecting to. So there's a, there's a meme going around the internet, which I think is applicable here, which is um, something along the lines of saying you don't want to lift weights because you're afraid of bulking up is like saying you don't want to drive because you're afraid that you'll become a NASCAR driver. You know, it's like, you, <laughs> it, it takes so much work. It takes so much effort and intention and work and discipline to build muscle and bulk up that like this doesn't just happen by accident. So for anybody that's worried about that, like, I don't know. I, I, again, I would probably just ask more questions because I think that's tends to be the best way to get at these things versus just like telling someone like, you're wrong. That's a fool. You know, like that's not the way to think about this. What, like, I just don't think that's that helpful. It's also kind of disempowering. Um, but yeah, that being said, for someone that's like going to add strength training into their routine for two to three days a week, like you don't have to worry about it. Trust me that a lot of us are out there trying so fucking hard with what we eat and what we do in the gym to bulk up. And like, it is a slow, slow process. <laughs> so, 
Yep. I love that. Okay. And then um, last question on the workout piece is like, what is the best type of workout? What is the, what's the workout? What's the exercise protocol that you recommend? And like most of these things, the answer is whichever one you're going to do consistently. So again, you know, are we optimizing? Are you committed to a strength and conditioning program? That's probably best. Like if everybody could commit, you know, like say you could commit 10 hours a week to your training. Like I would say, let's do four hours of strength training. Let's do four hours of zone two and let's do two hours of like joint mobilization, mobility, flexibility, but building strength and end range positions. Um, that's kind of how I would like, you know, dial up quote unquote, the perfect program. But again, it's like, what are you actually available for? What are you going to follow through on? What can you do for a long period of time? And if it's not those things, then like, fuck that, <laughs> you know, like go to your dance class twice a week and, you know, do your yoga and hopefully lift some weights if I can talk you into it. But other than that, like just whatever is going to consistently get you off your ass and moving consistently. Yeah. Move more, move more, more often, do something you like. Yep. And then in the same vein, um, which diet is best? So you get people who were like, ah, should I do keto or should I do the Mediterranean diet or should I do low carb? I should do Atkins or should I do paleo or should I do carnivore or vegan help? Yeah. I feel like at this point you're, you're probably capable of answering all these or we've at least given the listener, uh, enough information in the previous seven hours that we've been talking to, uh, help them answer this themselves. But yeah, again, what diet is best, like the one that you're going to stick to consistently, you know, and the one that aligns with your goals. So what are your goals? Are your goals to lose body fat? Are your goals to bulk up and gain muscle? Like, um, you know, the, the dietary approach is, going to be different for each of those end games. So yeah, it's so personal. It's so personal. Yeah. It's so personal. Um, and, and keeping in mind if somebody has, you know, like if somebody's celiac or gluten intolerant or dairy intolerant or allergic to whatever random things like, or, you know, sensitive to certain inflammatory foods, like we got to start with those things for each of us personally and find what works. And plus like the word diet is such a, it is the right like descriptive word. Like what is your diet? Like my diet consists mainly of like meat and vegetables and starch, you know, but like the, the word diet is so loaded and so like stigmatized that most people think of it as like diet almost equals restriction, you know? And that is definitely not the path to success in my experience. So thinking about diet is just like, what is the, what is the bounty of things that I get to include in my diet? So as to support my specific health performance, aesthetic goals, like that's, that sounds fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like how can you think about food in a way that's supportive to whatever your path is? Like I, I personally love thinking about my diet as fuel for performance for all the crazy shit we do in the gym and outside of the gym. But I also think of it as like food to me is not just fuel. It is absolutely part of the the richness of life like i said before chris and i are total foodies he will make himself leftovers for lunch and it looks like something at like a michelin star restaurant he puts so much love and artistry into his food and like anytime we sit down and eat together i'm like basically like 
moaning half the meal because I enjoy my food so much. Like you better believe that my diet is going to include all the food that I love. Cause for me, that's so important because it's a huge part of what brings me joy. And I want to be really healthy and I have goals. So it's like, hence again, the, the 80, 20, the mostly real food, but also enjoying, you know, I will buy like a bag of candy when we go to the movies, sour gummy worms that has all the terrible chemicals in it. And I'm completely fine with that. Cause I know I'm not doing it every day. And then I would say the last question here is um, supplements, which we haven't really talked about. I mentioned protein, I mentioned creatine, but like for the average person is like, should I take multivitamins? Should I be taking B vitamins? Should I, do I need to like supplement with fish oil? Like how do you even navigate that? Because there's obviously so much nonsense out there too in the supplement world. So what are some basics we should know? Yeah, good question. Um, this is one like I'll probably just tread a little lightly. Like I'm definitely not a doctor. So anybody that's interested in supplementing should probably consult their physician. I'll say that first and foremost, just to cover my ass. Um, but I like am not and have never been much of a supplement guy that like what I, what I use daily is like I use protein, whey protein powder, right? Which I think can be very helpful, especially if you're feeling like it's a stretch to get adequate protein, like if you're, if you're 150 pounds and you're struggling to get 150 grams, like, you know, throwing in a 25, 30 gram protein shake in there is a great way to just like start chipping away at that number, you know, having other, like, this is obviously not a supplement, but like just having high protein snacks, you know, like low fat Greek yogurt or cottage cheese and stuff like that, just around the house is a helpful way to chip away. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't advise someone to get all of their protein from just drinking protein shakes. Like obviously you're missing out on no. a lot of other possible nutrients there. Nutrients. So whenever possible, like I would love to be getting everything from just like real whole foods. Of course, that's not necessarily available for everyone, right? There's costs associated with that. There's access associated with that. So um, a good protein supplement, protein powder can be helpful. Uh, for me, five grams of creatine daily. I've been doing that basically forever. Um, and that's going to help you with both performance in the gym, but there are also some very well studied cognitive benefits to taking creatine too. So again, consult your physician. That being said, for people with like normal kidney function, creatine is the safest, most well studied supplement out there. It's also one of the most effective. It's kind of like a no brainer slam dunk thing that most everyone should be doing. Once I learned that, I was like, sign me up, especially if it has cognitive benefits. I was like, so we put that in our protein shake every day. And then I think just aside from that, it would be worth if you have access and you have the ability, it's like go and do, you know, a blood test or a hormone panel or just like get everything tested. So you have a snapshot of like what is going on. If you're someone who's not getting outside and getting in sunlight, direct sunlight frequently, like it's very possible that you're deficient in vitamin D, something like 40% of Americans, I think are deficient in vitamin D. So that might be called for. Um, if you're finding like, you know, you're, you're uh, eating a fair amount of processed food, you know, maybe your omega-6 fatty acid to omega-3 ratio, which should be more like one-to-one is maybe more like 20 to one or something. So it might be called for supplementing with you know, some sort of cod liver oil to get EPA and DHA up. Um, 
but again, yeah, not like definitely not an expert in the supplement world and also just not like super experienced personally. So don't have a ton to say on that front. But I would say most of the fitness freak gym bro people that we know, many of whom are also, uh, fitness pros, like trainers and health coaches, I would say most of us do the same thing, which is most of us put protein in our shakes and creatine in our shakes. And uh, many of us also use collagen powder, which also has protein. And many of us also uh, drink electrolytes every day. Those are like the four things that I do that I love. And I love the collagen because it has protein. It's good for your bones and joints, but also it's good for your skin and your hair. And I'm like, I want all the soft skin and all the healthy hair and nails. Yeah, yeah. So for, for my beauty, I'm glad you brought up the, electro- I, I'm glad you brought up the electrolytes, um, especially for someone who's training hard and sweating a lot. If you're losing a lot of sweat, you're losing electrolytes, which is essentially like salt, magnesium, potassium. That's why it tastes salty, your sweat. And so really important to replenish that just for normal cellular function. Like all of our cells require sodium, potassium gradients for basically everything. So really important to, um, drink water. Yes. Not only drink water, but also drink water with electrolytes. Yeah. Which can also be like, if you don't, we use element or element tea is the brand we love. Um, there's lots of other ones out there too, but you also coconut water counts as electrolytes, right? Coconut water is a good, yeah, that's a good one. Well, can you also, uh, water with just lemon in it? Is that, is that equivalent? Or yeah. No? Got to get some salt Never in there. <laughs> salt. Yeah. If you, if you put lemon and you put salt in yeah, it, does that lemon make it? And a pinch of salt in there. That's like absolutely yeah. a little homemade electrolyte drink. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So if you don't want to buy electrolytes, you could do the DIY version. Amazing. Okay. Any, um, any final burning things you want to share? Um, or should we let the people go? I think we should let the people go. I mean, I would just finish on like, I know this is, it sounds like a lot. Um, and I'll just reiterate like, maybe a couple key points, which are just, I think the key to success here is to get really curious, try to try to fall in love with learning a little bit about this stuff and just try to make it like fun for you. The more it seems like a chore or a task or like you're restricting yourself or like you have to do this thing or you got to go to the gym or, you know, it's like that just operating from that headspace from that mindset, it's just really hard to feel inspired and empowered and be sustainable. So, you know, figure out, like, find what works for you and do that. And like, fuck all the noise is honestly what I'd say. Like, take some some principles that are like scientifically proven and weave those into your own story and then develop from there. I'm so glad you said that because it really does. Like I was saying, my way of doing that is gamifying it and like using apps and you know, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm at 8,700 steps for the day. Like, let me just take one more lap and get to 10th. Like, it's so, it can be so fun if you find ways that you can personally make it fun. The other thing I'll add to just like making it a fun journey and fun and interesting and be, getting curious is the identity piece. You guys know I t- talk a lot about identity related to everything that we want to improve in our lives. But if you are someone who identifies as unhealthy or lazy or not an athlete or whatever it may be, it's going to be much harder to make these changes and implement them and stick with them and be consistent if every day you're battling this 
you know, identity in your mind of like, oh, my entire family is unhealthy or my entire family is obese and this will never work for me. And why do I even bother? And I'm, I'm always going to fuck it up. Like, I'll just, you know, it's not worth it. Like all of that inner dialogue is, uh, is going to, it's like such an uphill battle. Whereas if, while you're taking all these steps and working on the different pillars and executing and taking action, if you can also be practicing adopting the identity that you want, which, you know, whether it's, you don't have to be like a gym bro like us, you can be adopting the identity of somebody who just loves to feel healthy or somebody who loves the way their clothes fit or somebody who has the energy to chase their kids or their grandkids or somebody who just looks vibrant and radiant and their skin is glowing because what's going on internally like shines through, you know? So it's the more we can marry the identity piece with all of the actual tangible things that we can do on a regular basis, the the better, the better it's going to work and the better it's going to feel yeah. along the way. And then I think final, final is all of this stuff is so much more fun and so much easier if you either have like a guide or you are part of a community where, mm-hmm. where accountability is kind of baked in. So um, if anybody out there like, you know, if this was like a little intro to you, but you want to know more or you want to have someone alongside you to just kind of help you work through some of this stuff, like definitely reach out to me. You can find me on the interwebs on Instagram at Stobes underscore Esquivel, S-T-O-B-E-S underscore E-S-Q-U-I-V-E-L. Um, hit me up. We'll link to that in the show. Yeah, hit me on a DM and would be happy to chat. Because I just love this stuff, and yeah, you know, such a nerd need the helps. So, but and honestly, even if it's not me, like find a friend or find a tra- a local trainer or find a local CrossFit gym or you know just like anything to help with accountability. And I think community is such a big part of that. Um, I would say go for it. Yeah. Dare, dare to ask for help because you are not the only one. Most people are struggling with some aspect of their health and we all could use the support. And so whether it's reaching out for help and just daring to say, you know, this is hard, like who can, who can I find that can support me on this or, and, or surrounding yourself by people who are, who are already living the lifestyle or the identity that you are working toward. And the more you surround yourself by that kind of community, the more you'll be able to like, you know, lift yourself up to that level. Hence the the beauty of having a guide or having a gym or a community of some kind. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, coach Chris and my love of my life uh, so much for your time, for a lot of your time today and for sharing your expertise with us. Um, it's so, I love the shit so much. And I am so grateful to you that I get to have you as my personal guide in my house all day, every day. Um, quick recap of this very uh, long, but hopefully super informative episode, we gave a little bit of background on Chris's journey and how we got into all this health nerdery. We gave you a definition of health. We went through the five pillars of health. I shared a little bit about my personal transformation this summer using all these principles. We hit some rapid fire questions at the end. And uh, yeah, I just hope you guys walk away with something that you either are inspired by or something you want to implement. So if you have specific questions, as Chris said, feel free to DM him. DM him on Instagram. We'll link to that in the show notes. You can DM me as well, um, or you can email us at hello at ohiself.com. And if this episode was helpful to you, I would love it if you could take a screenshot and you can share it on social. You could tag me, you can tag Chris. 
Um, or you can send it to a friend or you can rate and review the show if you have a minute. That's always super, super helpful. So we appreciate you so much. And especially if you made it through this long ass episode, <laughs> thank you. We love you and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks. Bye.